is never enough. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. We here at Death by DVD sit painfully through hours and hours of movies so you, the public, can make an informed decision of what you put in your ear and eye holes. This episode marks the 13th year of Death by DVD. Lucky number 13. Founded July 9th, 2009, I proudly present to you 13 years of terror bull movie reviews. 13 years of death. This is Death by DVD's lucky 13th birthday. A dedication to inebriation. I am your host, Harry Scott Sullivan, and partying hardy is always an appropriate way to celebrate a birthday, so inebriation dedication seemed like the perfect thing. Years ago, during the live era of Death by DVD, we would end each episode with an inebriation dedication, which would be a movie perfect to get fucked up to. From beer bongs to blunts, we covered it all. But that couldn't possibly be all that we're gonna do for 13 years of Death by DVD, right? It sounds kinda lame. I feel ya. It's not all. 13 years of Death by DVD, it's been the same two guys. Well, what better opportunity than on the 13th anniversary of Death by DVD than to premiere a new host? A brand new voice that will be joining the casket crew. It's a real birthday surprise. Well, without further ado, let's get this party started. And now, introducing to our dead studio audience, it's the Linus Fitness Center. 
How's it going, Dead Studio audience? It's the Linus Fitness Center. I was previously just Linus Fitness Center, but now I've been allocated to the. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with it. I wanted to give you a title. I thought the would be a formal introduction to the show, but you've been a longtime listener of this program for some strange reason. You're the one, the one that has kept us going since around 2012. I think you've been around a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Maybe since uh, since Sam Neil uh, tweeted your uh, possession episode. Was that that long ago? God, that was maybe 2015, or it could have been 2014. I, I've, I've lost concept of time over the years. That was a proud moment for Death by DVD. We did Possession. I, I love talking about episodes that you can't find anymore, also. <laughs> People might, oh, that sounds great. Sam Neill was interested in this. Let me go find it. Well, guess what? It's no longer available. We did that back in the live era, uh, me, uh, myself and I, Alexander Nash, and Sam Neill found it, and he told us after 30-some years, somebody got the movie, which made me feel great because I was just drunk in my kitchen crying talking about possession. Uh, that, that's what that episode turned out to be. I, I thought for the longest time you were a gym. I thought some gym in England uh, listened to the show, and I was I was always impressed, like, wow, that's really that's really cool, this fitness center is into death by dvd but you're not a gym at all not in the least bit Sad, sadly not no <laughs> what would you describe yourself i mean as a multi-instrumentalist i would say is a, is a great start with things i mean because you can make everything make music pretty much uh well in a very rudimentary fashion i suppose after years of listening to the show uh you you finally have come on to it now that's what happens if you listen to death by dvd for about 10 years you just become a cast member it, it, you've put enough time and effort into this that now you're a part of the show. And I wanted to revive an old segment. I thought it would be great to use recently seen. Hey, we can just talk about some movies we've recently seen. And right right when that episode came out, I realized, you know, it would have been a lot better is if we did <laughs> inebriation dedication. So that's what we're doing now. It's and it's the same show. It's but this time, we're gonna get drunk. Um, not that I wasn't last time, but audibly drunk might be the difference. So same kind of format. It doesn't matter if it's recently seen movies. This is a general introduction. I've been teasing and hinting for the last few months that somebody new is going to be joining us and that some of the direction of things that we discuss on Death by DVD is going to change. And not in a scary way, but we're going to start talking a, a lot more open world cinema, I guess you could say. We, we really discuss a lot of American and American horror movies, and we're going to start moving toward Japan. On this program, we're going to talk about a lot of kaiju, tokusatsu, uh, and even with Italian cinema, we're going to move into maybe some different crime. We're going to go all over the place. It's a new era and a, a great new discussion. And thankfully, because of Linus Fitness Center, I won't be babbling incoherently because we have somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. Kind of. I mean, we are both white guys talking about Asian stuff, so I don't want to put a fucking, <laughs> you know, we're, we're experts on, on this episode or anything like that, but... Well, you know, I've seen some films. Uh, I, I I like them, some of them, you know. 
See, why I call you an expert is because you can remember all the names of the monsters and the characters and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, no, there's one where this fucker has saws for hands. He's a dick. I don't like that guy. Um, which, that's not true. Gigan is pretty awesome. I, I really like him. Oh, he only has saws for hands in uh, Final Wars. He has, like, sort of banana-shaped scythes originally. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess since he's a cyborg, he doesn't eat or have bodily functions, but that's kind of what happens to me when I watch Godzilla movies is I really start wondering about things like that. You know, how does Rodan eat? What does he do for fun? Uh, and maybe I'm not watching them right. That's That's kind of the problem. And I'm sure as we get drunker, the show will progress into more... <laughs> Than me wondering what Rodan does for fun, and those will all be future fantastic episodes. In fact, we've we've got one ready. Rodan, what does he do for fun? It'll be coming out this fall. Hopefully not. Wherever it is, it probably takes place inside a volcano. Yeah, we've gotten to a point where I well, I've gotten to a point. I say we as it's all all part of Death by DVD, where my exploration with with horror it's not so much come to an end, but. There's apps like Tubi that I, I really, really enjoy, but it's constantly finding the same stuff over and over and over again where you've got a question, man, how many years of my life have I been going through that Walmart bottom barrel finding everything I can to watch stuff? And I, I had to, I don't know why I had an aversion to tokusatsu in general. I think a lot of it comes from just, you know, childhood memories. The, uh, the Power Rangers were really big over here, and you kind of have this assumption and idea that, I don't know, it's just a bunch of guys in rubber suits. It's, it's going to be stupid as shit. I mentioned this on a previous episode. I watched the, uh, and you know this because we talked about it like every day, every Godzilla movie, and it, it really going even into the, the third or fourth one was like, holy shit, it, yeah, it's giant rubber monsters, but there's a lot more going on, specifically with that film series. Um, some of them are, are pretty goofy, but... yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm quite happy for it to be rubber monsters and stupid as shit as well, to be honest, you know. It gives you a break. I mean, you have, I guess, an idea, especially when you get used to horror movies, things like Don Doler. You are used to schlock, and I guess that is, a, like, a pinnacle when it comes to Godzilla films, especially in the 70s and late 60s. It's ridiculous that schlock. Some movies have speech bubbles. They play volleyball with rocks for several movies but everything is an, an incredibly deep philosophical and political standpoint when it comes to the human survivals and i i just find something almost charming about how every movie somehow has a huge point of we have to evacuate the cities before these monsters completely destroy things and then you come over to the american movies and it's like fucking boston just gone man <laughs> nobody evacuated <laughs> just Fuck them, get rid of it, and it's it's something culturally different from Western audiences that is I've embraced. Of like, man, even they're even trying to help the giant monsters before they shoot them with seventy eight nuclear rockets, then try and send them to the Arctic. Everything has a, a valued and balanced lesson, no matter how goofy it is. And I don't know, you get to a point where you've just seen so many drills and driller killers and people dying by drills that. You need giant monster suits. I don't know. I've been watching Driller Killer a lot lately, so that's my frame of reference. How much is a lot? I was planning on doing a show about it, so I watched it and then didn't pay any attention. And then I watched it and paid attention, and then I watched it with the Abel Ferrara commentary. And I think that's a lot for Driller Killer. That's a, a distorted amount of reality for a movie that's pretty not pleasant. But that is kind of a great <laughs> inebriation dedication movie that... 
I mean, you could watch it drunk. You could watch it. I I think you can even kind of get drunk on a movie like that because it's it's beyond psychotronic and it's offensive. Uh, one of my all time favorite scenes is somebody's in a, a dressing room just screaming, "Somebody show me their pussy." And that scene goes on for a couple minutes. It's like two or three minutes of screaming about pussies. And it's it's not good, it's not bad, it just is terrible. I mean, <laughs> it's not that it's terrible in a bad way, but it's what you're experiencing with that sequence is like, fuck, this is upsetting. And you've been watching a movie about somebody killing people with a drill, so I guess it's uh, fitting. <laughs> it's pretty abrasive, to be sure. It's, uh, it's not a pie. There's several movies on the video nasty list where you can kind of realize and understand why they might have been censored or banned with, with not any attempt to justify censorship or things like that. But Driller Killer is one of those movies where it's like, well, I, I get why people were mad about this. Not to the extent of how people handled it and what happened with the Video Nasties, which is almost moot to talk about because there is a fucking Video Nasty episode on this, I think, maybe, somewhere. <laughs> I have a vague sort of like um, memory of the video nasty area era even if uh i was probably only about two years old at the time like uh i remember watching um censor recently and like sort of quite struck by how sort of authentic it felt it's kind of strange how there was nearly no reaction or a counterpart to it in the united states i mean even you kind of had the mpa thing going on with tipper gore and and them bringing the Mothers of Inventions and Frank Zappa and Dee Snyder up against the Supreme Court to argue about vulgarity and things like that. But it, it even what that seems so short lived. And uh, you have with the BBFC video stores and people being raided like they're importing heroin and cocaine all because they had copies of Zombie 2 and, and Last House yeah, on yeah. the Left. Yeah, it, you'd, you'd almost expect it more in uh, <laughs> in your neck of the woods. Yeah, but, it really uh, seems like such an American concept to me that it's baffling. Like, man, the British really just did not like horror movies, I guess. There was the whole element of Mary Whitehouse and the whole, um, you know, crazy uh, Bible basher element. But uh, I don't know. I think once they'd sort of, um, that had sort of, infected things uh the, the way they sort of dealt with it is just a typical sort of british or classist response to you know uh well you know like this mucky video is gonna make you do some like nasty shit but you know it won't make me do nasty shit so i can classify it to say that you can't fucking watch it that's what always really confused me is you go back and you read publications from the video nasty era and what the bbfc is pretty much trying to say is 
we think this movie is going to make you kill somebody with a pitchfork because you're stupid and you don't know what a pitchfork <laughs> is for. And it, it comes off so heavily insulting that it really does seem American. Like, did they call over here and ask for somebody? Like, we need a little bit of help. We really want to insult our people the way that you guys like to do it. And what's confusing to me is, is even to this day, some of these movies that are absolutely fucking stupid and, and not even really worth it, not even worth seeing, are banned. You still can't see them. You still can't find uncut copies of them. And it's like... Cannibal Holocaust is a very vulgar movie, and I'll, I'll give it credit for that and why it can upset people. But come on, there's no point in banning it. It's yeah, I mean, uh, well, they they did that stuff regardless of what you think about it. I mean, you know, it's there, <laughs> like it's and it's kind of a fucking great movie as well. So you know, I, I guess it's strange in this day and age that people think by banning something you can't find it. Now you've just drawn attention to it in the internet era where, where fan supercuts exist. The other day I saw there's apparently two I don't I don't want to insult them, but at the same time I think it's kind of goofy. But I'll call them artists. These two guys have made their own cuts of Halloween. So they've illegally downloaded and fucking bootlegged John Carpenter's Halloween in the second movie. And one guy has his own cut and another guy has his own cut where they have flawlessly edited the movies together with the made-for-TV scenes. They've both fucking re-edited the same movie, but done it differently, and they've gone to war with each other. They're they're just completely angry that, well, your cut's not as good as mine, my cut is better, and I'm just reading comments and going through and just kind of laughing at all of this, and it's like, fucking Cannibal Holocaust is still banned in some countries. This is bananas. Yeah. This is... You guys are are angry over dedicating lives, your months of your lives, to booting this movie, and it it could be cool. Both of the concepts sound kind of interesting, but I've also gotten to a point where I, I, we'll lose half the audience with this. I have almost zero interest in watching the original Halloween or Halloween two or three or four or five ever again. The one with Buster Rhymes, which everyone hates, I'll watch because it's silly. That one's fine for me. I love the new series. I, 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 that infuriates people also. I really, really enjoyed the new series. But, and it's not that I have anything against John Carpenter's Halloween, but I've seen it like 992 times every Halloween in 30 some odd years. And I don't, I just don't, I don't really want to watch it anymore. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, well, um, I, I'll, I'll give you a partial agree on like, I mean, I, mean, I, I, I can always watch Halloween. Like the other Halloweens, not so much. Although three is a different thing, and that's like a fucking Halloween ritual. Like you know. Yeah, that one. No matter what, sometime in October, I will sit down and watch that fucking score. Just like I saw um, Alan Howarth um, play that live in London. Um, a few years back, and like, yeah, as soon as those fucking pew pews like fucking come in, it's like, yes. I met him after the show, actually. He was really nice. He like gave me his WhatsApp number to send him photos that I took, but they're all terrible. So uh, I didn't send him any photos, but I have Alan Howarth's phone number if anyone wants it. <laughs> Doesn't Fabio Frizi also wish you a happy birthday every year? Yeah, man. Yeah, um, I, I saw that this year. It was like, this <laughs> son of a bitch, man. What the fuck? He's playing London again on Halloween this year. Um, so, yeah, I got to go and dust out, dust off my Schweik costume, which uh, hasn't been cleaned because it can't be cleaned, really. It'll fall apart since uh, 2014. So, yeah. 
have to air it out a bit. I ignorantly have put off seeing Goblin and Fabio Frizi multiple times when they've come to the United States, and now I'm really paying for it as members of, of one of the versions of Goblin. Maybe the Goblin? I don't remember how it goes anymore. Has passed away. The founding member of Goblin died. So we have... Yeah. You know, we we have the guy that everyone loves and knows the most about Goblins left, but, but the guy that started the band unfortunately passed away, which that was, I I don't even want to say, like, sad or upsetting. That was just one of those, like, I, I, I felt, uh, I don't even know how to say it, just such a, something so monumental died with him. Some of the greatest compositions from horror history are, are his reasoning of him being behind it. Some of the sickest solos just such pressure that the movie wouldn't be the same whatsoever without his work, without his involvement, without his band, that to me it was, I mean, it was like experiencing, I mean, one day Argento's going to die, and I think it's going to be ten times sadder, but it's like a giant piece of history from that era, which, especially with Death by DVD, we've always been heavy on the Italians around these parts, especially Giallo, especially Dario Argento. And, I mean, I feel I've grown up with that sound, the goblin, goblin in general, maybe since I was 14 or 15. It's just always been there. I never thought they'd die. <laughs> I didn't think goblin could die. Yeah, well, it's it's goblin and Claudio Simonetti's goblin at the moment. Um, yeah, um, I think legally um, the, the, the three of them that are entitled to use the, the name goblin are the three founder members. Um, Massimo Moranti, Claudio Simonetti, and uh, Fabio Pignatelli. The three guys that did the Tenebrae soundtrack. Which may be... may be better than Suspiria? Or I can't tell which one I like more. I don't know out of... I mean, you, you can't really account Mother of Tears, because that didn't have a great soundtrack. I didn't have a lot going for it at all. It's like picking a favorite kid. <laughs> but I do have a statement I want to throw out before uh, everyone truly hates me for saying I'm tired of watching Halloween. I've, I've raved for years and years and years. My favorite movie, I love it to death, is Alien. Aliens, James Cameron's. I, I can't sit through anymore either. I tried a couple weeks ago. I got right out right when everybody dies. I'm done. I don't I don't like it anymore. Everybody I like's gone. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I, and this here's where the audience now will hate me even more. I don't care what happens to fucking Ripley. I like the Marines. I wanted Hudson. You know, that was the big thing for me is all those guys were really cool. And then it just becomes Ripley saving the kid. I'm done. Uh, maybe like the first 40 minutes. Apone dying and you're there. The movie's over. I don't care. He's fucking awesome. He's the best character. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you on the characters, but like, I can sit through it still, man. Like, you just saying aliens makes me want to watch aliens right now. And fuck. <laughs> it's been in the last two or three years for me. I think I've burned myself out, and and maybe we're coming to something big here on Death by DVD. I've I've lost all my joy, and it could be, <laughs> and I I really have. I can't really get into anything, and even like, here's a big sin. 
Fulci's always the most important thing in the world to me, but I sat through Zombie the other day and I realized I wasn't even watching it. I was off the hand quoting as it was going through and wasn't even looking up at the scenes. And, I, and maybe it's because I've gotten so familiar with these movies over the years just watching them repetitively. Like, I have to know everything about Fulci. I, I need to see them in a new way. I gotta see them blown up and big. Like, I feel if I could go and see Halloween or Aliens uh, on the big screen... It would just be mesmerizing. I've, I've managed to catch Alien and the director's cut version, which I kind of prefer. I really like the egg morphing sequences. I've seen that two or three times on the big screen, but I've never never seen Aliens. And it, it, it being perpetually, I think, my favorite movie, I, I want to be deafened by it. I want to be frightened by it. I want to see it blown up. And I think that's where, with a lot of things that I've treasured for years... Like Halloween, I love John Carpenter. I just did a, a show pretty much blowing John Carpenter and the thing and how great he is, and all of it's absolutely true. Every every, every word and, and praise to John Carpenter is 100% earnest. There's no fucking lie there at all. I've just, I don't know, I, I think I've, I really desensitized myself oh much, almost because I'd sit and watch, like, I like Aliens, so for a month I'd, I watched it. That was it. And there was an era the this I think believe is the era of death by DVD that you you started really listening in on when I didn't have cable or internet at all and I had like 20 different movies so one week would be like we're watching aliens this week and when it went off we're watching it with the commentary now and then we're watching it with the Sigourney Weaver commentary I would just you know watch a movie five times in a row with every version of it to keep myself occupied Probably should have started doing yoga or something like that, but well, fuck it, whatever. I've seen Aliens like 822 times, and I'm not lying. And that is probably the problem. <laughs> that might be okay, my problem. Uh, which cut of Aliens, theatrical or directors? I used to really, really prefer the theatrical cut, and I, I, I don't know. I bounce back and forth. I like the director's cut, but there's a few sequences that are just kind of blah to me. Like I think when Ripley sees the whole sequence with uh, Burke when they're on the, the way stage. What is that called? The off-world station or whatever. Um, gateway station. When they're on Gateway Station, that her daughter has died, and it's the photo of Sigourney Weaver's mother. I could, that's. We've already had a great deal of emotion for Ripley, and she's been in space some some 57 years. That was too much for me, but I love the sentry guns. I don't understand why those were cut from the theatrical in the first place. The sentry yeah, guns that, are fucking... That's the, that's the only bit that I would put back in. What about Newt's parents? Oh, fuck them. Fuck them. Like, I mean, like, like, right, well, I saw Aliens before Alien. So when I was like about I don't know eleven or twelve, and I think I saw the um, theatrical cut, so I didn't quite know what was coming. And like having Newt's parents in that scene, that just fucking kills the tension, man. I saw the director's cut way way after. I don't think I saw the director's cut until they released the original DVD quadrilogy box set, which was this awful design, just this terrible <laughs> big burdensome beast. Once you opened it, you couldn't figure out how to shut it. Like, no, nothing went back into place the right way at all. And I, I had to buy a new copy of Aliens because I ran it so far into the ground because I'd never seen the director's cut. I was, like, 16 or 17. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is the fucking coolest shit in the world. I, I would like the Newt's parent scene, but cut it right before her dad gets brought back into the crawler. So you know they've gone out there, you know they found something, and then you get the scene where they talk to the guy that was the captain of the ship from Red Dwarf, and that gets to stay in. 
and but no, you don't get that teaser when she screams. Especially, you know, all right, this is just another alien movie. Fuck it. If you just mm, got rid of that, nah, 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 not nah, been the whole fucking thing. Century Gun, though, I mean, we got an agreement on that because that that whole fucking scene. The only thing I don't like is it seems so moot, and I think that's why it was cut because they're low on ammunition when they set them yep. up. So you get a couple mm-hmm. cool scenes of it. Maybe if it could have been retooled with more what what everyone wants out of aliens and this is uh alexander nash has actually said this for years so i have to give him credit on this what especially the the new prequel sequels that ridley scott has done what the world wants what everyone wants is just one giant fucking battle between aliens and humans with a bunch of guns and it's really fucking crazy just do what james cameron did for an hour that's all we've wanted for for 30 some years man i don't care and i don't hate prometheus or covenant but I don't like them either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I might hate Prometheus. Maybe like Covenant. Covenant is schlock, so I kind of enjoy it on that level. The the thing that really kind of pissed me off with Alien Covenant is is making James Franco the captain. That was that's not. <laughs> I don't even. I mean, I I guess I should have a problem with James Franco because he's done some some pretty. He's accused rather of doing some because he seems like somebody that would sue. He's been accused of doing some pretty abhorrent stuff and being a general dick, but... At least they set him on fire in the first five minutes. Yeah, I just was annoyed. I just sat there kind of smug of like, oh, you get to be in an Aliens movie, huh? You get to just do everything, don't you? You get to be James Dean. You get to just do... Oh, look at you, James Franco. (laughs) And that nice. You know, I just was a little pissed off over that. I, I did enjoy... But on the same hand, I'm like, fucking Danny McBride's in an alien! Woo! Like, I, I was I was happy about that. I still don't know what those fucking movies are about. I don't know exactly what Ridley Scott's... It just seems like he sits angry at a typewriter and is like, I don't... I'm going to give this to somebody else. I don't yeah, know. He's, he's just trolling himself, just writing angry fan fiction of, of, about his own movies. And I, I love that he, and I, I guess here's some Ridley Scott slander, he tries to take a credit for a lot of stuff that wasn't his creations now that everyone else is dead. So it seems like he's he's perpetuating this, well, you know, in my first movie, we had an android, and that was originally the big concept of it. You mean that movie Dan O'Bannon wrote? You mean Dan yeah. O'Bannon's android, you son of a bitch? I, I don't, and Ash is a great character, and, and may, maybe to me... As frightening, maybe more frightening than the Xenomorph itself in that first movie, because the Xenomorph has—you uh, can't really be mad at it. it. It's a creature. It's it's doing whatever it can to survive. As to where Ash has a, a preset evil in him, and we you know find out later in the movie. I'm sorry, spoiling fucking Alien. That his programming is a little bit twitchy. Oh well, that's in Aliens. We learned that his what the the Hyperdyne models were a little bit twitchy. Bishop says to us, because James Cameron can't. Everyone gets mad at Tarantino when he reaches into his own pocket with red apples, but James Cameron has been doing it for fucking years. Uh, we we get all this back writing. I guess is where I'm going with this rant. But Ridley Scott has taken other people's previously established characters and has turned it into just. A fart. I don't know. I'm so I'm so glad that they didn't let him. Well, that well, that he didn't direct Blade Runner twenty forty nine anyway. 
just kind of a dream come true because I really enjoyed it. I see a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, I guess Blade Runner purists, have problems with what they went with the story and that there's a lot of in-between stuff. And I admittedly have not seen the animated blackout movies and the stuff that happens beforehand, and I've heard it makes it... I'm, I'm sure it's fine, but, like, fuck that. Like, you know, like I like... I like a film. I like a film to exist without having to read supplemental material. It's like, like that. Like it's fine as it is. Make um, a movie out of it if you're going to add it in. Like, just make me watch it. Just make a movie and I'm fine. I'll, I won't have a problem with it. But I don't want to have to go find eight things on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, it's a bit like those those new uh, um, American Godzilla films. Uh, you have to read the novelization uh, or uh, the tie-in comic books to make sense of a lot of the plot points or lack of plot points. I think it's just gotten to a, a, a back plot of rewriting and trying to figure out, well, we need the origin of the alien. I think that's that's really not interesting at all. That's like going, and this is what's happened with the Texas Chainsaw series, going back so many years we have that, that prequel with Stephen Dorff. Well, this is what Leatherface is really about and then we have the new movie, which apparently Netflix is going to move on with the series. We've got all of these explanations going back. Kim Hinkle did one with the Texas Chainsaw Next Generation. The problem is trying to explain who Leatherface is, giving a humanization to it. He's terrifying because he's a big fucking guy with a chainsaw and a leather face. That's what works so well with the alien. And I know the design has changed over the years, but I've always been really fond of the big chap design from... The, the original alien that had those deep set black almost human eyes where you could see that to me it was very clear this isn't what this creature is somewhat reminiscent of John Carpenter's The Thing that we get to see an idea that whatever this creature is metamorphosized off of a human form and that's that's terrifying we don't need a backstory it's fucking scary as it is yeah yeah, yeah. once you explain it it loses all the power and uh, two, you never have any idea where it comes from if you can exterminate it. And I think with, with James Cameron's movie Aliens, that really goes into that exploration is, okay, so they're going to try and exterminate it. And we still have, because of Bishop and some really cool sequences, we learn about its anatomy, which makes the alien even more frightening because it really can't be stopped. It, it, it As Ash says in the first movie, is a perfect organism. And Alien 3 gets a lot of flack, but I don't—both cuts. I don't hate the director's cut. I don't hate the theatrical cut. I don't like it. I'm not like, oh, this is canon. This is this is the best shit in the world. This is where it stops. I don't—they killed fucking Hicks and Newt at the—oh, again, sorry, spoilers for this movie that came out in 1993. They kill, like—and I, I, I'm no Ripley bashing. I don't mean it that badly, but by the end of Aliens, after you have Hicks and Newt, I don't care anymore. I want Hicks and Newt now. You gave me two new yeah. characters. I had two movies with Ripley. And then you start the new movie with, like, guess who's back? It's Ripley, mm. but we cut her hair. Damn it. <laughs> That's yep. all right. I guess. Kill the kid. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, well, for me, it was particularly hard coming off the back of um, all the Dark Horse comics that they did after Aliens. It starts out as a sequel to Aliens, um, and the lead characters are Hicks and Newt um, several years later. So Newt's all grown up. And um, yeah, it, it's, 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 it, it takes a sort of very Verhoeven tangent on things, because the, the future is like horrendously fucked up. And, um, and yeah, and just results in an infestation of Earth, thanks uh, in part to a religious cult that wor- worships aliens. 
I know in in the this day and age is a graphic novel of the original script that has been done for for Alien Three, but I I might be wrong, and I am very very regularly. But one of the Alien novelizations uh, that came out in the '90s was the original Alien Three script, and they changed Hicks, I think, to an android, and Newt was a little boy. What what you're talking about is the. T- comics i'm talking about after okay. alien 3 they changed the name of the newton hicks characters so they didn't necessarily uh contra so they could you know so it was not necessarily a canon but then ripley turns up so what the fuck are they gonna do that was kind of the interesting thing in between alien movies also is the canon got ridiculous because you had uh the alien vs predator video game first came out you had different versions of the alien and aliens video games that were were early coming out. Then you had graphic novels, comics, the Alan Dean Foster uh, novelizations, and then there's a long-running Alien vs. Predator and Aliens novel series as well. It's like the S.D. Perry. I think S.D. Perry wrote a lot of them that did the Resident Evil series, and it's gone on for years and years and years, and it, it's it's unlike Star Wars where they have a definitive answer from George Lucas, what's canon and what's not. With Aliens and Alien vs. Predator, it's fucking whatever you kind of fucking want it to be. It doesn't really matter. Uh, and But uh, Alien 3 was, was drastically so different. I mean, you had a very somber, and everyone knows this, it's a Vietnam War movie with aliens. It's an Apocalypse Now kind of thing. And then you move into this, like, fucking British, quiet, rainy movie. It's like, what, man? This is so fucking English. And obviously, I mean, they shot it too. Wasn't it? I'm sure it was a Pinewood. It, <laughs> everything good I is think shot. it was, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it is English as fuck. Alien 3 is it, the Britishest cast ever. You got you got fucking Paul McGann and Ralph Brown from, uh, from Withnail and I. Apparently, um, I think I read they wanted... Um, Rich D. Grant as well, just to do a full with nail reunion. But um, but yeah, they got some. Um, oh shit, I can't remember this fucking name now. <laughs> fucking um, Tywin Lannister. What's his name? Charles Dance. That's the fucker. You gotta say it, it's the villain from Last Action Hero, and I'd go, oh, that's right, Charles yeah, yeah, Dance. Yeah. I know who that is. <laughs> Holt McCallany. I don't. He played Junior. Oh, God, Holt McCallany played Junior. I know who he is. I was just reading his name <laughs> off a list on IMDb, and it's like, oh, no, he's in Creepshow 2. He, he's a connected <laughs> horror actor. I know who he is. I didn't, I, I'm looking at the fucking cast list of Alien 3, and I, I honestly, I didn't realize who he was. But, yeah, no, he has the little teardrop eye. The director's cut oh, yeah. has so much more of all of these characters. The theatrical, you see a lot of them for a couple minutes, but um, you don't get anything about the dragon, or that might be Junior's character that's all freaked out about the dragon. No, that's... That's, uh, that's Gallic. That's, yeah. that's Gallic. Gallic, yeah. I'm sorry. Junior's one of the, the guys that tries to rape Ripley outside, and then Charles S. Dutton beats the fuck out of him and a few others. Alien 3 is fine on its own terms, but... As a, as a sequel to Aliens, it's just like it's starting out by pissing on my chips. It's just like fuck off. It's like oh yeah, you, you, you yeah none of that matters. Everyone's everyone's fucking smooshed. Fuck you. Maybe one of them might have been better. Like if they'd have just killed Hicks, it'd be like well that fucking sucks. But at least Newt's still alive. No, you fucking killed them both. You killed the child on top of everything. The whole point of Aliens was the survival of this little fucking girl, and you just killed yeah. her. I know, and you know, especially like I said, coming off the Dark Horse Aliens comics, whereas like we follow a grown-up Newt and Hicks 
and um, you know, and, and an eventual alien infestation of Earth and a massive fucking Earth war. But nah, it's just like they're dead, and there's a bunch of British guys in a prison, and like, ah, fuck off. And out of all people to have directed, I mean, it, th- this was a, a point before the world knew how gritty and dark David Fincher could be, but this was such a, a brilliant, beautiful chance for him to really get, I mean, I don't know how you could get darker than some of his work, like Fight Club is pretty fucking dark. The um, Zodiac Killer movie literally is really, really dark. But he could have gone so deep into this, and he wanted to. He had beautiful, mesmerizing ideas. I know he wanted to have Geiger involved again. And I think this is the beginning of when Fox really started fucking Geiger, that his name was on the movie and it made it appear as if he was getting some sort of credit or residuals for it. But they'd found some backward-ass way to only give him like a half percentage by using the based on characters or based on art by Geiger or something. And it wasn't until the mid-2000s, near near his death, that he got anything solved with that. So they kind of were bastardizing his art. They were obviously ripping off Dan O'Bannon. I I highly doubt Dan got anything. If If Dan O'Bannon had made any money out of the Alien series, he wouldn't have fucking died as he did. Because that dude went his entire life without an actual diagnosis for Crohn's disease and then fucking died because of it. If he had money, he would have seen a good doctor at some point. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a bummer. We went harsh on that one, but um, the beer's kicking in, you know? Yeah, yeah it certainly is. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I had a point to make then, but it's just fucking floated off like a fart in the wind. Welcome to Death by DVD. <laughs> Most of episodes are, are when we finish it up, we realize, you know, I really wanted to talk about this, 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 and this. And it, it comes out as a next episode or sometimes why there are two, three-part episodes. I think what what's interesting about this is a lot of our audience has come on since 2019 when we stopped recording live. And I've talked about that before, and it's not like we had like a setup or we're using microphones. The way we used to record live is we called in through our telephones, and we mm-hmm. talked on the phone, and it was recorded through a server. So, and, yeah, you could tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And people have asked, like, well, why don't you put out those old episodes anymore? I cannot make a phone call from 2010 sound good. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Whoa! So this is Radio Land, huh? The Infinite Turtle, the, the waves for the Eucher Fuzz roll on forever. Roar! Death by DVD. I am your host, Isle of Internet, and with me as always is Gong Show Champion, year 1976. It's a Hank. That's actually a misnomer. Uh, I can't. I, and there's not a goddamn thing I can do about it. Even if you're into black metal, there's not much to say oh, this. <laughs> but this is really what the original Death by DVD was. We'd have sometimes the topic, and we would talk about stuff at, at some point but the whole point i think of inebriation inebriation dedication there it is it's starting to set in 
is is we get to introduce you and we get a realm of what you're into and then we get really great conversations of me saying I don't want to watch aliens anymore and then we talk about it for 40 minutes well you know that's that's just fucking crazy talk of course you want to watch aliens you want to watch aliens right now you know what I think the thing is I'm tired of watching all these same movies alone how often can you sit and watch Halloween alone how often can you sit and watch aliens alone I gotta fi- I gotta figure out a way to do like a death by DVD film festival and acquire only public domain movies because the rights to aliens, I'm sure, are <laughs> fucking. Out I think of my I've watched. I think I've watched Zombie Two alone about four or five times this year. But um... I've watched it three times this month. <laughs> I, I just it, it comes down. I and I've discussed this on episodes before, but I, I call it streaming syndrome. That all right, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna watch a movie. And let's say you open up Tubi and you go through your suggested movies. I'll spend an hour. Well, this looks good. I'll put it on my watch list. Ooh, this looks neat. I'll put it on my watch list. I never fucking pick a movie. I never sit down and watch it. And I do it on Shutter. I do it on Criterion. I do it on Amazon. I'll end up with this massive list of 42 movies after spending two hours looking for it. It's five in the morning at this point. It's too late to watch a movie. So I'm gonna watch Zombie. I'm gonna throw in Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> Uh, and it's not. It used to be my my big go to was Dawn of the Dead, but this this last decade, it's Day of the Dead. I got to put in a movie where people are just miserable. I got to fall asleep to this. Let's <laughs> let's kick this into overdrive. Oof, like Dawn's like a comfort blanket. Day is uh, yeah. Day's like sandpaper. <laughs> yeah, it really. Is. I guess for me, I I almost like the comfort of Day of the Dead over Dawn of the Dead because I find a lot of despair for me personally i i've always seen myself as roger so that's my character i identify with so we get to a point in the movie and just like with aliens once hudson dies i'm like fuck it i don't care (laughs) done with this movie i don't give a shit fuck it peter and everybody else gets to live uh but they you have no definitive hope like they leave and we really don't know what's going to happen and then with day of the dead at least i don't know if it's a dream it, it it's really ambiguous i guess but i like the fact that they're all fucking fishing like dorks on the island and it's all right you know jawrath conroy and everybody gets to have a good day there's something hopeful to me, but at the same time, I'm saying this movie's hopeful when John Amplis gets shot in the fucking head. You've got <laughs> the, I maybe discussing some truly evil characters here. We had Ash from Alien. We have the Xenomorph from Alien. And then we have Captain Rhodes from Day of the Dead. A significantly just pure fucking evil. Somebody that never needed power. An absolute American. Like, <laughs> a great, like that, and, and, for our American audience, which I know is most of you, this is what a, a people from other countries look at Americans as. Captain Rhodes is America. And there's a show called The Boys, which I've not seen, that apparently has a, a character that people are just realizing is the Captain America-esque character. He's not the good guy. <laughs> Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. America's not the good guy. More more so than that, the, uh, the Superman character in that. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's 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 a lot of fun that show. The the actual ideology of the Ubermensch and all that Friedrich Nietzsche shit of a perfect being actually is the bad guy. Surprise. Yep. Um yeah, I've never actually sat down and seen it. I'm really behind on everything and I've talked about it a lot on on Death by DVD. I've never really watched much Star Wars. I can't figure out which ones I've seen. I'm pretty sure I've seen <laughs> This is kind of funny. Part one and well, the original part one and part three, and then the prequels. I've seen part one and part three. I've never seen part two of any Star Wars series, and that that's about it. But over the last year, I've gotten really 
it, it, it sounds fun, but I have a weird anxiety handle. Like when I'm having a really bad day and I can't get my brain off something, I have gone. I go and find these Wikipedia's for a uh, you know how there's like fan Wikipedia's and shit like that that people can start up and it's just countless. Like Wikipedia is one of them. I will yep. go find a random article on a series I've never seen. So I'll go to like Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, Wikipedia, Doctor Who. I've, I've that one. I'm just starting. I'm just starting to do Doctor Who, and I will read for hours until I can't remember what was causing my anxiety. So I have this fucking weird, weird knowledge of Star Wars. With like you, we could just talk about it, and I have never seen most of them. I'm I know everything that's happened already, and I really want. I'm excited. I want to sit down and watch it, but I'm not <sighs> fucking getting a Disney subscription. I'm not doing it. So, so you've never seen um part two of the originals or the prequels. Yeah, I, I've never. I know for a fact I've never seen Clone Wars, but part two is Return of the Jedi, right? No, dude. Fucking hell. No, look. Part... <laughs> and here's oh, the oh, other oh. half of our audience that just left. Like, <laughs> this prick doesn't want to watch Halloween anymore, and he doesn't fucking like. Star Wars. <laughs> no, um, no. Two is Empire. Fuck. And then, and then, two of the prequels is Attack of the Clones. So you've got probably the best Star Wars movie and. Maybe the worst that you've not seen. Later on, we got to talk about like Fulci or something, so I can win the audience back with. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I I gotta win this crowd. I've just lost my <laughs> own audience. Like I've I've shit on everything tonight, and then I don't know the name of the Star Wars movies. When we did the Star Trek, I have to say it that way specifically. Episodes, yeah. I had to keep re-recording bits and pieces because I'd be listening to the episode while editing, and I'd oh, yeah, I love Star Trek. That shit's great, and I just knew I was going to start getting angry email, and I did. I, <laughs> I got a bunch of angry emails for saying it oh. wrong. Uh, and so Star Wars itself, and, and I have no hate for it. It just wasn't a part of my childhood. I was growing up right when I was of age when the prequels came out, and I, I, I know I saw The Phantom Menace. I remember my dad took me to go see The Phantom Menace, and I had a lightsaber. I had a bunch of toys. But it was the Phantom Menace, so I I didn't get into it. Like it didn't, <laughs> it didn't yeah. hit me. It didn't do anything for me. And then by the time the other ones had come out, I was you know punk rock teenager and moody and thought Star Wars was stupid and, and didn't care about it. And it, it's gotten to an exasperating point now, like the Marvel series, where I, the Marvel series, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, rather. I don't fucking even know where to start. I don't know what, because it's not like I can just sit down and go, I'm going to watch Star Wars today. i got to watch like 44 hours of it before I can even <laughs> catch up. No, you don't. Matt, no, all you got to do is, um, well, you got to do a little bit of digging. you got to dig out um, Harmony's um, despecialized editions and just watch the original three and then leave it at that. That's it. It depends on how much, though, because of my little anxiety cure. Because I have just extended universe stuff. I know all these random Jedis. I I know who Sidious's master is. I've spent hours reading about how uh, all of this sets up and the rules. It, and... It, it's it's a it's a fucking silly fucking fairy tale bullshit universe. There, there's 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 no way they can go with it, and they still keep pumping it out, like. Um, the Mandalorian is alright. That that sort of captures the the spirit of the originals more so than anything else. Um, See, I like Robert Rodriguez a lot. I really enjoy, and I I get laughed at a lot for that. I really do. I, you really? What do you mean you like Robert Rodriguez? And I do. I enjoy the fucking guy's work. I, I even um, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Everybody hates that movie, and I thought it was alright. I 
I left that movie, yeah. Are you a Mexican or a Mexicant? I'm a Mexican. He directed uh, most of the Boba Fett show, but to be honest, like, uh, the only episodes that really sort of, like, um, really popped were the ones that he didn't direct. But uh, but the ones he did, they weren't that bad. It was all fine. Everyone's in a fucking tears about nothing, man. Yeah, from everything I've seen, just reading comments and, and being on the good old Twitter, is most people's hate is that Boba Fett wasn't Boba Fett enough for their Boba Fett standards. And a lot of it's like 20-something-year-old people that weren't there to even see the eight minuscule seconds of Boba Fett. Because doesn't he just kind of stand on a, a, a floating yep. boat and then get knocked into a fucking pit? Yep. Like that's, um, that's well, this, go, this goes back to what you were saying about aliens earlier. Like, um, like um, what, what made these vague characters better is like how you could imagine them to be. And then when they ex actually explore them, like uh, Ridley Scott did with Prometheus and, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, Covenant, um, he he takes it down 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 avenues that you don't want to go, uh, and and basically like this they did the same thing with Boba Fett, like because he's supposed to be you know the most most ruthless badass, like uh, uh, mysterious bounty hunter, like fucking space samurai guy in the universe, and they just turn him into like I don't know a, a nice slightly portly. Uh, middle-aged uh, New Zealander. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the thing that really upsets is is you have to run off a universe that was created after the universe, and that's that's you know goes back to what Ridley Scott's doing. But Patton Oswalt has a joke about this, so I'm not I'm not trying to fucking Carlos Mencia and steal his joke. But what you learn in the prequels is Boba Fett's a clone who's pretty sad because his dad died, and yeah. Darth Vader is a little boy who's pretty sad because his mom dies and then his wife yeah. dies and he gets even more sad if i actually had a time machine is i would go back to around 1993 or 94 and kill george lucas with a shovel that was the first thing that came to my mind and stop him from making the prequels that's how i would try to save. and history. now we're, we're years later after that and people are having to take these characters and it's like okay well he was a sad little boy so obviously he's going to have some emotions so we have to deal with this 40 years later after he crawled out of the giant butthole of the monster that was eating him. And, and, and like, and, but I'm interested in that. I think that's what started to really garner. Cause I've, I admittedly for years have been like, yeah, fuck star Wars. That's, that's stupid. I have no fucking interest in watching this. I've seen Akira Kurosawa. I'm a film fan and I've lightened <laughs> the fuck up. You know, I've gotten the stick out of my fucking ass and, and dropped my attitude over the last few years. And I, I'm into it, but it's like, I guess the problem is I know it's not going to do much for me. If I, I I know so much about it fucking already, watching the original stuff doesn't really help me. Kenobi, I've I've been watching that fucking Darth Vader fight looks fucking amazing. That seemed so cool, and I know it was retconned yeah. and stolen from something else. And, and um, it was fine. Um, basically, they took six episodes to do what they could have done in an hour and a half movie. Um, it was a lot of going to and fro when they didn't need to fucking bother, but the last ep the the last hour was great. Like um, it did all the things you expected it to do, and uh, but you know did it really well. And uh, I don't know. 
Uh, for me, I guess what's uh, and it's uh, I usually harp against this. I'm not into constantly doing TV shows, but with the Star Wars universe, and, and I feel this would be appropriate with Dune too. Being able to launch miniseries to expose, like especially Dune, so much in the first fucking book happens. Mm-hmm. You could do a mini series of six episodes of of yep. each part of here's what's happening with the Atreides coming here and here's what's happening while the Harkonnen are doing their thing. Here's the Fremen doing their thing. You could end up with like a 50 to 60 70 hour Dune movie even trumping what Hodorowski and David Lynch wanted to do by handling it at every direction. And I feel that's kind of where we're at with Star Wars is so and and I read a lot of comments a lot of purist fans hate it because it's it's backfilling. And it's exactly what we hate with what Ridley Scott's doing. But the universes, I think, are, are, are drastically different. With Star Wars, there's a lot of room for creativity. There's a lot of room for everyone to have their story told because it's a much it's not as dark of a universe. It's much more fantastical. There's a realm for hope. You've got beyond the Skywalker saga, the story of the Sith and the Jedi itself. Both are really amazing ideologies and powers that you can focus on and create whole worlds, and of course with Star Wars you have the Old Republic and, and stuff that dates back thousands of years before Mace Windu and all those guys that we've gotten familiar oh, with. But, you know, you know what would be better than all that? It's just like, just having three good films and then just letting your imagination fill the fucking blanks. I've heard everyone, uh, and I, I'm going to assume you're part of it too, you don't like the new trilogy? Because I've heard everyone just has the biggest issue with the Snoke and Ben Solo, and I, I guess I should say spoilers for people, but Jesus fucking Christ, <laughs> you're listening to Death by DVD. I think they're fine. Like, I, I mean, I, I don't like Star Wars enough to be like offended by it or whatever. Like, uh, basically, um, when I was growing up, we had three good Star Wars movies, Everyone I knew could agree, like, without any sort of level of, like, you know, nerdishness, that there was these three good movies that everyone liked, you know, like, like fucking Jaws or, uh, I don't know, like Back to the Future or, like, movies that everyone fucking enjoys. I mean, I think there's definitely that's even a fucking idea for a show of Death by DVD that we can we can throw out. Here's just a list of movies that you can't argue over. Everybody likes. Yeah, but then uh, then it got a bit fucked with um, in the nineties when he uh, did the special editions. But to be honest, I was a little bit too young to sort of like notice a lot of it, um, and then maybe a little bit taken in by some of the the um, terrible CG and to give it a pass. But then yeah, then then the uh, the prequels came out, and the first one I went to, I I went to see it fucking five times at the cinema, like. Uh, just because I had like this uh, month long free cinema pass and nothing else to do. And it was each time like, Hmm, it wasn't like, uh, you know, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience. It was less like, maybe it'll be better next time. Well, so much is introduced in that movie that previously wasn't introduced before. You kind of had to ruminate on it because you've got the midichlorians and then you've got the backstory oh, of Anakin Christ. and, you know, there's all this. I I think unnecessary diving into the story over the plot. Like, no one needs to, and it, this takes us fucking right back to Alien. We don't need to know why a Jedi is a Jedi, so it's a blood type. That's That takes away kind of the fun of being able to become a Jedi, doesn't it? But it has no characters either. Like it loses sight of fact the fact that the the fact what people liked about the original Star Wars movies as well as well as the 
fantastical situations was there was some good characters you could you know latch onto um and then attack of the clones came out which i've you know i've, I've said is the worst one me well, I, I, I don't know i at the time it felt a bit better than the first one uh than uh phantom menace uh, just because like it had a bit more action to it but if you, but if you watch it now it's pretty fucking hard going um and then before the third one came out i had a bunch of friends over and we what we re we re-watched phantom menace we got about halfway through attack of the clans and gave up and then uh then a, a big group of us went to see revenge of the sith um <laughs> It's like stupidly thinking this is our last opportunity to go see a Star Wars movie at, at uh, the cinema. Oh, that was the total vibe, though. That's 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 why I saw that one. I had a date. Yeah, yeah. It was a chick that I was in a journalism class with, and she got tickets and was so excited. We saw a midnight show. And what I remember distinctly of that night wasn't the movie whatsoever is we went and got donuts afterward, and I had an allergic reaction to something on them, and my like face <laughs> popped up and turned purple, and I was ridiculously <laughs> sick for days. And I ref- I've almost to this point now in my life, it's been years, I refuse to watch Revenge of the Sith because I'm just <laughs> I'm terrified. Maybe the allergic reaction was to the movie. Well, you know, that's not the only reason not to watch it. But, uh, but yeah, like, um, I, I went dressed as Obi-Wan and my friend went dressed as Vader and we watched it and we came out and we were like, oh, fuck. Well, what are we doing? Oh, no. This is, oh, my God. Star Wars is broken. Fucking hell. What are we, oh, God. To make you feel better, when I was around, oh, it shows my age here. I guess I was I was eleven or twelve. There was a, a bookstore in our local mall that was doing a costume party giveaway. If you showed up in a costume, you would get something. And uh, <laughs> Phantom Menace had just come out, so they had those little Padawan clip-on hair things. And I, I, I got one of those, and my mom, she made an amazing one too. She made an Obi Wan Kenobi costume for me. And I only had the only toy that we could find uh, the the prop sabers that were out at the time was Luke's from the original series. So I had Luke's a lightsaber dressed as Obi Wan Kenobi. Go through the entire mall, go to the bookstore. Nobody else showed up, so they they gave me a Star Wars trivia book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have it. I I have the memory. The next year, though, my mom took me to a Renaissance fair, and I I wore the same costume, and everyone called me Obi Wan Kenobi the whole time. So for a kid that never really had a Star Wars experience, I've kind of... <laughs> it was an easy costume to go for, and that was the rules. You had to dress as a Star Wars character. And my mom yeah. always, she would do the best. She did me, she did me as uh, Sub-Zero one year, and this is like the original <laughs> Sega Genesis Sub-Zero. I looked mirror to him. It was it was amazing. Nice. My uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi costume was just my mate's uh, judo outfit. And I grew a beard accidentally when I was on a holiday in Bulgaria a few weeks before, and I kept it. I was fucked when I saw the third movie, because so I've seen Phantom Menace. I've seen the final, last Star Wars movie where the Emperor dies. So I, I kind of thought I knew what the Emperor looked like, but I, I guess I'd never seen the, the what was it, 97, 98, that Lucas put out, the, the, the re-release where they changed everything up. 
special editions here. I'd only see. I I thought the emperor had like weird gorilla eyes and was this thin-faced weird thing. So when the whole force lightning scene happens with Mace Windu, I'm like, who the fuck is that? Where's the monkey eyes? What's going on here? So my my firm memory of Star Wars, the the first movie, A New Hope, at least has the the correct fucking emperor in it. Like I know what uh, he's not. He's not in Any Hope. So uh, I've he, seen he, the he, second one then. Holy, I yeah <laughs> I, yeah I yeah. He, he turns up. He turns up in Empire with those those uh, puffy eyes, but it's a different actor that's in all the other ones. I'm pretty sure it was a woman, and they use an orangutan's eyes. Marjorie Lee Eaton, February 5th, 1901 to April 21st, 1986. But the voice was dubbed with another male actor that wasn't Ian McDermott either, though. And they Ooh. they obviously superimposed some stuff and had a giant mask on the character. I only know this and looked it up because about a, a week ago, I was scrolling through something and I was looking at a gif of the Emperor's face showing up and was like, that's not fucking right. And when it happened in Revenge of the Sith and he does the Force Lightning scene with Mace Windu, it blew me away. I'm like, that's not the same thing. Where the, the eyes were all big, it was all funky. And I, I guess what we're centering around on this episode is sometimes it's all right if you want to re-image stuff. It's not like there's a law against it or it, it completely ruins the property. As somebody that's never really experienced Star Wars and then you have with Linus Fitness Center... And then you have... A, <laughs> crack, I might keep that in. I don't know. Then you've got with Linus Fitness Center somebody that has experienced and enjoyed Star Wars for multiple years what it takes me back to is the, the the major issues with Alien. So I can relate, I guess, on a level because I understand where fans are coming from. But a lot of what I see, especially with The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, it, it just looks action-packed to me. And I see people arguing, it's not a Western, it's a samurai movie. What? A, okay, that's a, a weird fucking stupid argument to have at all. It just looks like a, a Sam Peckinpah meets Sergio Leone desert kind of mash em up situation, and that sounds fun. And for the, for is. me, it sounds like it's inviting for non-Star Wars fans, I guess, of like, yeah, this sounds fucking cool. This guy in a mask is going to blast some yep. weird people up and do some shit. It's Lone Wolf and Cub in space. It's fine. It's good fun. That sounds awesome. Like it's, it, I like the welcoming aspect that you don't have to be a Star Wars fan anymore. And that's like we did uh, on Death by DVD last year, the the entire original series of Star Trek movies. And I struggled getting even to the last few of them because the connectivity gets so deep. You have to learn so much about Star Trek itself to enjoy the series. You really have to identify and know who these are, what the enemies are, what's going on, and, and I, I, I can't get into that. And at the same time, I've preached and I've ranted about how much I love Dune, but admittedly, I've been reading that for decades. I've been reading Dune for about 20 years, and I'm still not done. So I've immersed myself in that garbage and chosen to do that. <laughs> and it's not bad. I mean, I, I say garbage jokingly, but you spend fucking 20 years reading a series about white Christ complex pretty much. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of room of growth with Dune, I think. I've always wanted to do, like, an expansive Dune episode talking about the books, and the more I think about it, it's like, I don't know if I want to talk about that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that's why I like, why it's part of the reason I like Godzilla so much is, uh, you know, you can sort of, you can put whatever themes you want into it, and then move on. And I like the fact they're reset so much, and like, it's it's, you know, if you don't like one of them, then 
you're probably like one later on. Yeah, for me, my biggest issue is is sometimes when they reset, they they don't finish the story, and that kind of crushed me with the uh, the '80s saga that runs from '84 all the way up to 1999, and it ended with just the that last movie's ending was so hopeful and so frightful that we're gonna get the most brutal Godzilla movie of all time, and the series unfortunately restarts for the Millennium series at that point, but it, it's still the joy of seeing it like. In my 30s, I didn't expect to be sitting on the edge of my seat yelling at the TV like, fuck him up, Godzilla, yeah! Like, fucking, <laughs> fuck yeah, dude, dude, do it! You've got that last film where he's self-destructing pretty much and his core temperature's rising and he's becoming this nuclear weapon and it's heartbreaking. It's like, no, not Godzilla. Like, he's my fucking yep. friend. He, he's he's a friend to all of us. He can't die. You get emotional. He's, he's, he's a pretty, like, rough friend, you know. But you know, <laughs> but yeah, I I kind of like the way that 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 movie ends. Like you know, it it, it leads you with live like uh, hope for something more that lives in your imagination, and that's where I like, I like I like a bit of scope to dream about things. I don't want you know, I don't want George Lucas to tell me about fucking midi midi chlorians and shit. And that's really uh, I'm gonna turn it all back now onto some Ridley Scott hate. That's, I think, the biggest problem with the the new series. Prometheus didn't need any backstory. When the movie came out, it sounded so exciting. And, and to me, I thought, oh, my God, they're going to be landing on, like, the alien planet. That seems like it's too much. We need something really obscure. We need to kind of just crawl upon the alien. And as, as the first time I watched the movie, it was so anticipatory. I remember just filling with emotion of, like, man, everything I thought was going to happen happens. And... I don't know, midway through, I, 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 I'm I not asking for some five-hour epic with this movie, but midway through, everything just becomes so absolutely disconnected, and I, I, the only way to describe it is just an utter disappointment. You took this idea, and just I know it's a fan bitching about things, which is all a podcast is, but you took this brilliant idea, and you turned it into this self-serving, I'm-just-keeping-it-alive idea, and that's all yeah. I feel it is. Like, you don't care about anything but i gotta i'm gonna keep this going because i did it first but you're not john carpenter and you're not dan o'bannon you didn't do it first you asshole <laughs> that's dark yeah. star and, and, and you don't have like people of that level writing your scripts like you know ugh, like that script is fucking dog shit i mean it looks very pretty because ridley scott's a good director but like but like that that film is fucking wank like, what happens in it, though? I still struggle to try and connect the two movies, so it's like, all right, David is an android, so I guess we know the, the androids before Ash must be twitchy, since that seems to be the word James Cameron used for it. He, he I don't know, he's mixing Blade Runner. He wants to have the same ideas as the replicants and that they want more life and that now David is creating the ultimate life form so his dad can live forever through this alien that's fuck that. I mean, and you have such a like. I love Numi Rapace. I think she's a brilliant actor. I I really she's, everything she does. I kind of did enjoy her, um, <laughs> like the, the the sort of uh, you know crushing existentialism she faced. <laughs> like, but that's what that's what's great about Ripley is she's not the lead character. She she emerges through the film as the lead character she's not the obvious final girl she just you know like through the circumstances she's the last one left 
And like, you, if you go back and look at it, like the reason why she's the last one left is because she's the most sensible person there. But, uh, but yeah. That may be now actually opening up, I guess, disappointment onto my so-called favorite movie, Aliens, continuing with the story of Ripley, because what makes her perfect is just what you said. She has become, through circumstances, the survivor, because she is the most sensible and she's the smartest person involved. You move into the next movie and we continue that arc with her. I, I Maybe my point of Aliens, uh, what I would enjoy is it's a... a the anim- the not animosity, the anonymity of who these characters are each time. If it had just been the Marines coming back because of Ripley's yep. report, and sure, put her in the beginning of the movie, but we focus on her again, and then the third movie it becomes beating a dead horse with like, okay, we're, we're telling this story a lot, aren't we? Aliens kind of flips it, because Ripley's emerged from the first film, and you've sort of grown uh, awareness of the situation as she has and then you sort of like take that with her and put it into this new situation where it uh, you know the tension comes from the frustration of like dealing all, with all these fucking dickheads that don't know what they're doing where you've just been with this character through the first movie and you know what's going to go down I, it's a ride I guess you go on from and it's like the Halloween supercuts I was talking about I'm sure someone somewhere has cut these movies together to be flawlessly intercepted as one full thing and I don't I, it's I'm not trying to complain and say like I don't like Ripley being in all the movies but just looking at it and breaking it down if each film and this is what Carpenter wanted to do with Halloween if each film had just been an incident with the aliens maybe the series longevity had changed would have changed rather to to what it is now because you hit Alien 3 and it, it was just a stale work. That kind of killed the series. And Alien 4 yeah. was so hopeful. I, I saw that in theater. I, I was excited for it. It sounded amazing. It was one of my first rated R movies. And I remember being young and at the end of the movie going, what the fuck? What? Why? <laughs> Any of it? Why? And it, it, I think with that movie we can agree fucking why did you bring Ripley back you could have brought her back but why did you do it like fucking a thousand years later that's the weirdest question <laughs> that's the fucked up it's it's not a good movie but I, I kind of enjoyed it at the time just because I, I, I hated Alien 3 at the time so fucking much I was like yeah that was that was better and you got Ron Perlman like fuck you Alien 3 <laughs> Earthman what a shithole right around the same time Titanic came out you had these two gems of a movie battling in theater against each other and it was probably around the same time period that I had gotten here's here's a deep story that I probably will regret telling but when I was a teenager I was really really big into turn-based role-playing and back in the old days there was a MSN MSN had chat rooms and you could set up turn-based role plays and there were hundreds of them people did Resident Evil people did Tekken People created their own. There were a lot of like mafia and crime drama ones. And for the most part, you would, you know, you had your profile to create on the chat website. So you'd create your character, use an actor or whomstever, whatever your original art, whomstever. I know it's not a fucking word. You want to put as it, you write your character bio and, and you join the chat and you, you had friends. I, MSN chat, uh, MSN messenger, a beautiful long lost messenger we all used to use back in the day. We would use to contact each other. I had friends from all over the world, and we started a United States Colonial Marine role play. And I, of course, was Hudson's twin brother. 
I was a sergeant. I was, <laughs> I was Sergeant Hudson. I, I moved up the ranks a little bit, and I had this elaborate backstory of how we were twins and Colonial Marines and sent off to different places. And I had there were four or five of us. There was a guy named Hazen, and all, all I remember is their screen names. Uh, one guy played Crow. Uh, from from Aliens, the character Crow. One guy was Aaron, 85 or 86. Can't remember what number his IQ was. And we would meet weekly and, and play and have these elaborate stories. And it's Dungeons and Dragons. We would come up with the entire backstory of what's going to happen, who's going to do what. Somebody would be playing a character of the alien, and you would type out massive paragraphs of what your character was doing, and then somebody else would take a turn and, and type it back and forth. And we I would spend fucking months and hours and days doing this we would rewrite the scripts we would replay the story somebody would be ripley or somebody would be the alien parker would survive and years later they've made video games where you can actually play and survive as as whomstever I, th- I don't think you can win as harry dean stanton i think that's the problem with that game but it, it became just a, an absolute fucking obsession with me for years and years and years of like my my obscure knowledge of aliens guns and characters and the backstories and the comic books and all this weird shit that it, it I really think it makes it, it, it for a fan like when you're obsessed with stuff it's not that it's a difficulty and it's not that it's rewriting the history because there is no true history to this we talked about that early in the show but when you have like Ridley Scott pretty much just saying like yeah bored robot made it You've taken uh, yeah. decades of joy. I, it really feels yep. like you've just kind of taken a wet dump on everything because yep. you want to have the rights to it. And that's that's the only reason really Scott makes alien yeah. movies. He doesn't want anyone he, else to. He he's he's not only pissed on your chips, he's shot on them too. And it's like the I can't ever pronounce the guy's name right. Neil Blomkamp. 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 Blom. Blomkamp. Yeah, that's not that bad. He had the best fucking idea of bringing Hicks back. It, it's retconning part three. It's showing what yep. Wayland Utani has done with the, the the whole genesis of the alien and turning it into a bioweapon. It, it plays completely on O'Bannon and Cameron's ideology from the other two yep. movies. And it, it to me, it feels 100% that Ridley Scott went, no. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Um, I mean, from what little we can glean from uh, the pre-production art, it's basically uh, it's the logical extension of the first two movies, and it's it, there are echoes of those Dark Horse comics in it, and uh, and yeah, it it's a fucking shame. And everyone's kind of the perfect age and alive and and wonderful to do it right now, and it just seems like a kid that doesn't want anyone else to play in his sandpit. Hurry up and die, Ridley, you fucking cunt. Yeah, I, I, I've said it to you before, and I'll just say it again on the show, but the wrong brother jumped off the bridge. I think oh, the yeah. last 20 years of Tony Scott would have been a lot better. I'll, I'm sure I'll put some, like, womp, womp, womp sound effect behind that just to oh, lighten dude. the blow. Like, like, can you imagine Ridley Scott's true romance? Fucking hell. Tony Scott made the best fucking Tarantino movie. Yeah, it's. I mean, if if Tony Scott had made Natural Born Killers, it would probably be my favorite movie of all time. And that's what, here's a segment. So if I haven't already pushed the audience away enough, I believe on another recent episode I said, fuck the teachers. I'm just batting zero with everyone. I don't like, um, not at all, I can sit through it. It's not like I hate it, but I don't like natural born killers that much it 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 doesn't do 
anything for me. I think it's got a cool soundtrack. I really like Woody Harrelson. I think Robert Downey Jr. and Tommy Lee Jones are fucking great in that movie, especially Tommy Lee Jones. But it, it just doesn't it doesn't evoke anything for me. And I get kind of annoyed throughout the movie that to me it just seems like Oliver Stone is like I'm still cool. Like I'm edgy. Like I was around back in the day and I was edgy back then, but I'm back now and I'm edgy. Like he's I don't know, it seems like his attempt at doing kind of a clockwork orange or a punk rock style movie and he really wanted to be edgy and it it's it all right. a bit like his cool dad movie yeah like look at me like i'm still hip with it i can completely understand it and i don't want to you know go deep into the whole like cause apparently like tarantino assaulted him or something at a restaurant i read once or yelled at him over fucking his movie up i've never read the script i don't know what what quentin's original idea for the movie was I'm sure it's not what Oliver Stone did. There just seems to be maybe a, a a miscommunication. And I've not seen every Quentin Tarantino film. I've not watched Hateful Eight. I've never seen Inglorious Bastards. But from what I know of his work, it doesn't seem like it's that movie. That doesn't seem like what he wrote. Yeah, well, but in Oliver Stone's defense uh, and in Tony Scott's defense, I mean, th- those were scripts he sold. I mean, they could do whatever the fuck they want with them. I think in in Tony Scott's case, I think he improved upon uh, yeah. what he what was uh, what they set out to do. Yeah, Tony Scott, I think one hundred percent, like you said, made the best Quentin Tarantino movie. But Oliver Stone, I I feel, just kind of found something that was a punk rock idea to him and went off the deep end and tried to make it as as much of an exploitation movie as he could that. Yeah, sure, it's art and exploitation mixed together. I just don't, at the end of the day, I don't even know if I've learned something out of it. I know where it's come from, and I've seen Badlands, and I get the story, but I don't know what the point was. And I understand his point, but it's like when Pearl Jam says, we're against Ticketmaster, and then Pearl Jam (laughs) tickets cost $3,000. Yeah, a bit like this weekend, where uh, the Glastonbury Festival... uh part of the lineup was a uh, debate on the cost of living crisis and the tickets cost like uh, 260 quid or something. It's like, yeah, I, I get your point and I'm, I'm appreciating the fact you've brought it up, but <laughs> are, you, are you thinking about any of this at all? And the Pearl Jam thing is mind blowing. Like I, we've both lived through that era where they would fight against ticket prices and a, a shitty ticket at a fucking football stadium in the United States to see Pearl Jam is like $3,000 that's a lot to hear, Jeremy. I don't I don't know any band that I'd be willing to pay. I've seen the Rolling Stones live and it wasn't three thousand dollars. And they were pretty good seats. Man, like if I can't see a band I like in a small club, then I don't care. Because they're gonna sound like shit anyway. I saw the I, I saw the police um when they did a reunion. Not not uh, through my own choice, just because my friend, uh, his girlfriend, had recently left him and he had a spare ticket. And I went uh, along to see him in a stadium in Cardiff. And uh, it was just a bunch of echoey bullshit. And, uh, you know, they were, from our view, they were about a centimeter tall. I was just like, yeah, I guess it was fine, maybe. I don't know. I didn't have to pay for it. You've been in the same 3,000 yards as Stuart Copeland. Uh, well, there we are. Somewhat near him. Stadium shows, I think, take, unless you have a a great deal of money, the fun out of it. And that's, I saw the Rolling Stones through a stadium show, but thankfully, 
Uh, I mean, and I guess it's blessed the Rolling Stones. They only charge $600 a ticket instead of 6000 Oh, Jesus Christ. It was a bucket list thing. It was uh, My mom got them for me as a gift, and then when she told me the price, it was like, good, good fucking God, just to see the Rolling Stones. And they put on one hell of a show, but it's it's one of those things you're watching at the time period Charlie, the drummer, was still alive. You're watching 70, almost 80-year-old men that are are making so much money compared to you. It's almost a little insulting that, <laughs> you know, I yeah, have to yeah. go back to my hotel room and sleep on some lice-ridden bed three towns away from my own, and you guys are going back to some deluxe beautiful room with millions of dollars that you don't need. You're not doing anything for anybody else with it. And I, that's yeah, that's what Ridley Scott does. That's what Oliver Stone pretty much has done <laughs> his whole career. Like, I, I feel going, when I wouldn't say his whole career. I'd say after Platoon and onward, Oliver Stone has pretty much just made movies because people fucking challenge him to. Like, oh, oh I can't make a fucking eight-hour JFK movie? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I, I probably agree there. I mean, like... Salvador is a great movie. I have no issue with him as an artist. It's just he gets he's gotten to a point where I feel he's so inflated on his own self it doesn't go anywhere. It it's just you're not even telling the story, you're telling your version of the story like the Doors movie. Every member of the band that was alive came back and was like, "Wait a second. That's not, <laughs> that's not what happened whatsoever. He just became a fat drunk and died." He wasn't <laughs> he wasn't wild or crazy. You're making him seem like he was a cool guy. No, he was just a fucking drunk. In the JFK movie, he did Hoffa. He did all these long, exasperated, well, what if this happened? And the problem is it becomes so much a part of culture that people believe it. Like, well, that's that's what happened with JFK. N- no. Yeah. He's do, he's doing fan fiction on uh, reality the, way, the same way uh, Ridley Scott is doing fan fiction of his own episode movies Oliver Stone made a fucking 9-11 movie that stars Nicolas Cage like that's a, a, a thing like that's a real thing it's not a fever dream I didn't create that high on drugs that, why? I've, never, I've never seen it and now I want to watch it because I fucking love Nicolas Cage I've never once watched <laughs> the movie I've just it's it's always baffled me and it's not even like he took a lot of time it's maybe like 9-10 years after 9-11 was it as was it as long as nine or ten years? I, I, I thought it was like like four or five. Yeah, it might, might be more. We'll have to go to Google for this one. Uh, it's funny. In this day and age, you can just type in Nick Cage 9-11. It's called World Trade Center, isn't it? 20, 2006. There you go. Five, five years. Five years. You know, five years. And it's five. You can just give it a little bit of time and then you can exploit the topic. But I I find that impressive that there was like a quiet period, that there weren't like Bollywood movies or some other Escape of 9-11 films, which I would totally watch. Escape from the World Trade Center movies. You used to get this bananas shit. Nothing was sacred. Uh, You'd get these exploitation films coming from Italy two or three days after awful events happened in the real world. You'd get some space movie the moment that a spaceship blew up. But with the United States, for some reason, it was this quiet period of like we can't talk about this we we well, can't like, deal with it a lot of the uh italian uh polizietecci movies of the 70s are dealing with uh, the uh really precarious um like and violent climate of italy uh, you know at the time like in those movies 
I think that's one of my my most cherished and favorite things when it comes to even like the lowest level, lowest graded giallo movies that you can, or rather, gialli movies that you can find on the internet. And, and I talk about Tubi a lot. I I need to get a sponsorship and start emailing them. I talk about you guys on every episode, <laughs> but that app has an amazing amount of. Uh, movies I've never even heard of. You can just surf and go through the bottom of the barrel of all these giallo and giallis, and so many of them have deep back political aspects of what's happening in Italian politics. And it's kind of mm-hmm. lost 20, 30 years later, but when you have even the slightest idea of how intense Italy, God, at least oh, the yeah. last 70 years has been, I mean, they were under a dictatorship, a, fasc- a fascist dictatorship, I wouldn't say equally, but as venomous and maniacal and evil as the nazi regime and after that it kept going you know well yeah dude and like and spain even more so because like you know that shit kept going you know like a lot longer i mean you throughout the the 40s 50s 60s and 70s you've got righteous stories of anarchists from spain coming forward and fighting against the the absolute vile fascist nature of of the government and even people who are questionable to talk about pier paolo pasolini despite his pedophilia was a a rampant anti-fascist and I don't think his death had anything to do with that, but throughout his career, you look at some of the like Canterbury Tales and some of the, the points he makes throughout his movies, It absolutely everything through decadence is showing how evil capitalism and fascism truly is, and I dare say capitalism and fascism connect hand in hand, that they are, are pretty much a different mask of the exact same beast. Yeah, one is the logical extension of the other. You you look at these films, and I, uh, I can't remember the name of the Fulci one that had that amazing scene where the woman's face is just burned off. Contraband, right? Yes. The whole point of that movie is looking at uh, like rules of who can come in the country, who's allowed to come in the country, what can come in the country, and it, it's, it's all listed as a very clever veal of things. And people dare say that Fulci doesn't have style, but a movie like that I think reeks in... Uh, politics and style, even White Fang. He he did a lot of non-horror movies that I think the value of them and behind them is the political nature of the time period. And then 40 years later, 50 years later, you're watching the movie. Like I'm not saying Zombies, a political film. I, I don't think in the least bit it is, but there's a lot behind, uh, as you were saying, so many of these movies and so much that it just seems like a cheesy, goofy movie now. And if you can go back and look at women being raped and murdered because they were a part of a specific left-wing sect and were being hunted by Nazis. Uh, all oh, of yeah. this stuff exists and is weird and shows up. Like, um, don't torture a duckling where the, you know, the witch lady gets um, attacked by the, the local mob for the child killings. It's, I guess, a weird cultural thing where people don't realize that it, it's become a term that's that's used by cowards heavily in the United States. They like to throw around, uh, it's a witch hunt. We're being hunted and persecuted for mm-hmm. our ideology and the things that we believe in. But when you're under an actual fascist dictatorship and you can't do anything about it, most of these films are, are more than just absolute brutal slashers and capers. And a lot of the characters, especially with Italian police dramas and things like that, are almost superheroes that are fighting against the wrongdoing of the street. And it's not so much like, I mean, you've got American cop dramas and things like Shaft or even the A-Team where there are these triumphant characters fighting just for the the 
almost nationalism just for the good of America. We got to do this to keep America better. And you look into some of these characters. I mean, I, I would dare even say some of Argento's work, especially with I've always felt a lot of his, his lead characters, especially his effeminate men lead characters are kind of American that he he's doing. And most of them are. Most of the characters are American. So that even furthers that of an American abroad and what America really stands for, that they act really tall and they don't back up 90% of what they say. And you can look at, like, Tenebrae. I mean, I think that that kind of is the lead character. Yeah, D- David Hemmings in uh, Deep Red, he's British, though, isn't he? Like, but it's, it's it, I, I think it's less American, more like uh, like white guy, you know, out of his depth, you know. I- ineffectual white guy, you know. <laughs> Like up to his neck in uh, sh- uh, mystical shenanigans or, or or murderous shenanigans. But our shenanigans are cheeky and fun. Yeah, I mean, his shenanigans are cruel and tragic. Which makes them not shenanigans at all, really. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. <clears throat> hey, Farva, what's the name of that restaurant you like with all the goofy shit on the walls and the mozzarella sticks? You mean shenanigans? No. Oh. You're talking about shenanigans, right? Put those away. It is to sometimes giving a lot of credit to Dario Argento with it, where he is is admitted sometimes of saying his lead characters are sort of based on him or a feeling or an emotion of him. So a lot of it could be a contrast of what he wants people to see of himself. But regardless, the political nation, the political notion of Italian horror is, is pretty evident. And it's weird because it shows up with a lot of the guys you wouldn't expect like Fulci. You'd think he'd get a little, you'd think he'd get political here and there. He never does. But like Jess Franco does the guy that loves to do close-ups of pubes. Oh, dude, like, well, you know, but Jess Franco like was making movies in Franco's like the other Franco is Spain, like, you know, how could he not? Just adds a whole different layer to, I guess, a lot of what people are easy to displace or say is just exploitation or trash or cheap tricks, which can take us back to Star Wars and Ridley Scott. He is returning to, let's make an exploitation movie. Let's turn this around. And Star Wars yeah. is, is learning kind of from that, that through their, their mm. long storied history i think star wars is learning we can exploit this a little uh yeah, yeah well i think i think star wars has always been an exploitation series it's just been uh like kurosawa and old sci-fi serials hasn't it it doesn't really have any anything to say on its own whereas i think uh like the italians like 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 fulci or or or, or people like franco um, I mean, they're making like, you know, crappy little films on the surface of it, but you know, but they're going through a lot of shit and they're putting their experiences into the film. Especially someone like Joe Diamato, like right now you have the asylum and a, a new movie will come out. I think my favorite asylum was there's snakes on a plane and they did snakes on a train. They're known yeah. for stuff like that. They'll put out a, a film very similar to whatever's coming out in theater. That's pretty much Italian horror. And I always find it really weird when people adamantly, and I'm not a big fan of some of it, I can't do some of the Sharknadoes or Clownado. I can't sit through that. There's nothing yeah. that I'm going to get 
from that movie, but but essentially Italian horror was, well, hey, over in the United States, they're making this movie called The Exorcist. Uh, totally. What do you want to do? And then 70 fucking movies came out, even going down to The yep. Beyond. Like, I would dare say The Beyond is definitely influenced by The Exorcist. Go careful. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know about The Beyond point, like, you know, because Beyond's a the Beyond's a fucking masterpiece. Let's, let's you know. <laughs> the audience can't see this, but I am wearing a, a Beyond T-shirt right now, also. <laughs> but it, it, I, I, I hate making favorite assumptions of what my favorite movies are. I would say the Beyond definitely is, is one of the top ones. But Sacchetti, as a writer and being a very, very, very clever writer, he borrowed and took from just about anything to make sure that he could slam out something Fulci did. So oh, I, yeah, I yeah, feel, yeah. and I'm not saying like a ripoff, but as an influence, I, I think... no, well, that's how, that's what the industry was, wasn't it? I mean, like the fact that like zombie flesh is a zombie too. Um, and then, then you have, uh, you know, a bunch of knockoff films that form the rest of the zombie franchise, and it gets even more complicated with the demons films. I'm still, uh, I don't know, I never know which ones are demons films anymore. I know there's demons and then demons too, but after that, there's uh, a lot. <laughs> it looks like um, the church was supposed to be demons three. But there is a Demons 3, which is a film called The Ogre, which has nothing to do with it and isn't very good. Uh, and then after that, to be honest, I, I lose track. I think uh, Luigi Cozzi made a film which is maybe Demons 5, but is also in some territories like a Suspiria sequel. <laughs> Usually I when I do the marathon, I do Demons, Demons 2, I'll do the ogre, and then I'll do the church. And I are is the the Luigi Cozy one you're talking about the Mask of Satan? No, that, it's it's deep, deep profundus. Oh no, actually, I misspoke. This is Demon Six, deep, deep profundus, uh, um, from 1989, directed by Luigi Cozzi, uh, who I've met, who I've met a few times, and he's he's a very lovely chap. So I guess Demons 5 is the strange remake of Black Sunday by Lombardo Bava that has Michaela Suave in it called Demons 5, The Devil's Veal, maybe? I've never seen it. We're, we're uncovering such new ground no, here. <laughs> uh, well, that's kind of the enjoyment of being, and it, it, there's an attitude, I guess, and I see it a lot. There's a lot of, I'm not going to shit talk anyone specifically, but I, there's a lot of YouTube shows, there's a lot of other podcasts, and there's this, like, deep air of affinity that people like to take when they are talking about Italian horror movies. And I'm guilty of it. And sometimes I know my shit, though. Sometimes I'm going to talk about what I know about and we'll do a specific show about what I know about and I'll sound a certain way because I spent seven fucking days <laughs> researching it. And that's what happens. But it's it, it doesn't have to be that way. And uh, with Death by DVD on the last drive-in, Joe Bob Briggs show, we live tweet. Yep the show every week and we're, we're there live as it's happening uh eastern standard time 9 p.m and so much enjoyment has come from seeing people admitting like i've never seen this movie before and you get to a point where especially with this podcast and the show obviously you want to talk about stuff that you know about and it's an enjoyment people get to hear about it there's an educational purpose or something along those lines and not seeing stuff i think it, 
equivocably can make it as better of a conversation because it also brings up to the audience like fuck you see it too we'll all get back together we'll all watch it but there's this this bizarre air of authority the the more and more you listen to podcasts the more you listen to shows where it almost feels like you're shamed if you don't know much about Italian horror like you don't you don't know Joe Diamato's real name my god that's that's so pathetic <laughs> of you and it, it makes me feel so shitty and I hate doing it but I mean like something like this we actually get to points where neither of us have seen the movie it sounds good though it could be absolute dog shit but it sounds good it's Demons right, well, 5 I don't think it's going to be that good to be honest I, I fucking hate when like uh, you know podcasts like scramble around like trying to find like you know trying to pick up the thing they're talking about so so I, 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 have, I have I've looked it up on Google and um, th- this particular website which is uh, bandsaboutmovies.com tells me it goes in this order and and this is where I'm choosing to believe right now we've got demons demons 2 the ogre no, it's not even that simple. Demons 3 could be Black Demons, which is uh, Umberto Lenzi. Uh, or it could be The Church. Demons 4 could be The Sect, which is another uh, Michele Suave movie, which is pretty good. Then Demons 5 is uh, The Devil's Veil, a.k.a. The Mask of the Demon or Mask of Satan which is the uh, Lamberto one, which uh, neither of us have heard of before. I had no clue there was a Black Sunday remake by Lamberto Bava. Holy fuck. Like, Demon 6, De Profundis, I've seen this, but apparently it is a remake of Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, but I didn't get that from watching it at all. I feel I've seen a Luigi Cozy Black Cat movie, but I don't feel it's that one. Oh, no, 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 that one's from 1981. That one's pretty good. It's got Patrick Minian. Like I'm pretty sure there's another one, but I, I don't know. And that that again takes you to the fun uh, Italian horror. Yeah, there, there, there's an there's another one in uh, Two Evil Eyes, um, the Argento and Romero um, double feature, which has uh, Harvey Keitel in the Argento Black Cat section. I actually watched it's pretty, that. It's um, pretty good like two or three nights ago for the first time in a couple of years and it, it, it that one's a strange movie because I can't tell hmm. what I like more or, or what I like least and every time I start thinking it's Romero it's Argento it's a really cool back and forth with both of them and they were they were really yeah. close friends for a, a tight period of time I'd say maybe a decade hmm. that they yeah. toured um uh, Dawn of the Dead and then going into the 80s and I, I unfortunately I mean this is hypothesizing but I think it it was kind of the the death of Ramiro as an artist uh, when he kind of broke up with all of his friends, that he was very stringent on what you would call now being an independent filmmaker. He worked with what he, he considered his family, the same guys. He watches original movies going up to like 1978, 1980. All the same people keep showing up. John Amplis is in like seven different roles. He's in Day of the Dead. He's in Dawn of the Dead. He's in Creepshow. <laughs> he's in, he, he is Martin. He's in everything but... Night of the Living oh, Dead. He's so good in Martin. Martin is, is such a beautiful movie. It's one of the, there's a, there's a handful of movies I can't watch with other people because I will cry, and it's like an ugly. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna get stuffy nosed and gag a little bit. And Mar- the end of Martin, my God, that movie just even talking about it gives you that kind of nose tingle of ah oh, shit, this sucks. <laughs> this doesn't end well. But he he tried his hardest, and and, and, and 
any artist, I think, can can relate from being a musician to a painter to a filmmaker. You want your integrity. That's what you want. That's what any and you don't have to be an artist to relate to that. Everyone wants their integrity. That's a part of life. You want to have your own soul. You want to be yourself. And George was adamant about not selling out in the 80s. And I'm not trying to shit talk, but I think Stephen King had a lot to do with it. He ended up selling his soul a little and tried to uh, be, you know, a production guy. Tried to do what the Italians are doing, where somebody would just say, hey, Lucio Fulci, we want you to make a haunting movie. And he'd go, okay, give me five days. And would go fucking make a movie in Louisiana and come back. To, to George, that was soulless. And in the 80s, you've got Creepshow, Day of the Dead, Monkey Shines. You move into the 90s, you've got the, the, the Dark Half movie with Stephen King again. You've got the, the Argento picture. It doesn't ever feel like he's a part of it. Like, he's there, he's directing, and it's obviously, it's George, mm-hmm. but it seems like he just kind of showed up, and, I mean, he's an artist, and no matter what, his work is, is I don't great, know, man. But... Like, uh, like, 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 I mean, I, ha- I have not much understanding of how movies are made, and it seems incredibly difficult. It um, sucks. <laughs> it yeah, sucks. yeah. Like, so... I, I mean, you know, I, I can understand an artist getting, like, fucking brewing out. Um, you know, I mean, for instance, look at Ridley Scott. Like, <laughs> like you know. I see, I think George got, it wasn't so much a burnout that he, he did things a certain way. He ran an indie ship, and then when he joined up with, like, this is, this is a, how a company works. This is how we're going to do things. It was like, mm. I, fuck you, no. I'm not doing this. I'm not risking my integrity. I'm not going to do a lot of what you want me to do. And this is the Toby Hooper story. Mm. It just never fucking worked that they, he'd get yeah. these big roles and then Toby would have these ideas and uh, you have ideas. That's great. But the producer and the production and everything else involved would shoot them back down. And I think that kind of boxed, I mean, really looking at, the output from like 68 to around 80 with George Romero and then 80 to like 93 I mean, it just seems like the guy just became depressed. And I think it was because he had four walls of the studio forcing. And I don't think it's bad work. I, don't, I mean, I actually even like Bruiser. I think that's a really interesting movie. I, I might like Bruiser more than the new Dead movies, which I I haven't really sat and watched them since they came out. So I don't want to say I like them or don't like them because I've not seen I- them. Yeah, I remember liking. Well, I, I remember liking bits of Land and Diary, and then. Mm. Yeah, the 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 last actual dead movie, um, Land of the Dead with Dennis Hopper. I saw that in theater. That was my first Romero picture in theater. So regardless, yeah, me too. yeah I I had to have some love. I had to have some excitement. I'll always speak highly of it. And I, the political nature of the film is is my favorite thing. I love Dennis Hopper's character. I again I. <laughs> It's not because we have somebody that lives in the UK on the show. I just like to talk about the bad points of the United States. Dennis Hopper's character is the is America. That's America. Zombies, man. They creep me out. That 100% is the personification of America and it might be I said this with the Xenomorph and Ash. His character might be more evil than the zombies because you look at the Xenomorph, it's just surviving. The zombies, how can you really even hate them? How can you be mad at them? They don't mean to exist. They didn't ask to exist. They exist on this world. But you've got this guy that has, in a crucial point of society, when the world could be working together to better the problems, turned everything as bad as it was. And it's such a great character. Nobody could do it better than Dennis Hopper because he could just... 
at a, a twitch of a hat become that fucking cokehead he used to be and <laughs> it plays off it works really well but the movie itself is is faulty it's not anywhere near yep. i mean you're supposed to feel the emotion you feel for Roger for John Leguizamo and it's not him John Leguizamo is fucking great but that character sucked they didn't spend any time with him you've got the the burn victim guy or whatever who he likes fireworks all right they shoot fireworks cool yeah fireworks Well, uh, on the one hand, you can tell that a lot of the budget was cut, but, like, the writing didn't make up for it. And it's Canadian. That's the big thing for me. You didn't shoot in Pittsburgh. You didn't shoot in Pennsylvania. I mean, and Toronto's great. You get that tax credit. I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the great thing. I mean, like, like the, the first two movies, they were shooting on shit all money, and they're fucking masterpieces. That's the thing with George Romero. You, you give this guy... 20 million dollars and it's not gonna work but you give him a couple shoestrings Tom Savini a bottle of ketchup and 10,000 bucks he is going to put out some of the greatest stuff you've ever seen in your entire life undefinably great I mean I feel every modern horror maker horror maker I feel every modern horror filmmaker right now and I'm talking about independent guys like going out and buying a camera from the store with an SD card and shooting right off the bat. And I don't mean this in the most insulting way, but I kind of do at the same time. Everyone takes Ramiro and John Carpenter. That is absolutely every horror movie. I want it to look like Creepshow. I want it to look like Dawn of the Dead. I want it to look like Halloween. I want it to look like The Thing. Give me those blue lights. And we've got this era of kind of dismal, independent, David Fincher-looking fucking movies without <laughs> David Fincher doing it. And But that's speaking on the volume of how much Ramiro and Carpenter have influenced people. And on one hand, I'm, I'm insulting independent filmmakers, but in the glory of that same statement is these two filmmakers have influenced people so much that everyone picks up a camera and goes, I want to make a movie that looks like George Ramiro. That's like wanting to uh, Andy Warhol you know everyone gets their five minutes of fame but literally every piece of art since 1977 that has come out and been called abstract is some Campbell's soup can looking fucking Andy Warhol knockoff well yeah and like and fucking George Romero invented zombies there's I mean you have that old argument well there was white zombie and these movies existed no, before different him. thing not flesh eaters Romero did the yeah. flesh eaters he changed the world the walking dead and and the boom after that, I, I, I believe, I've talked about this on an episode, I did Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. And I really think it, it kind of is, I guess, an American thing that you have. I love that movie. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at the time period and the eras, you've got Night of the Living Dead, George Romero, 1968, and then you just a few years later, the the next really big, the, the zombies attacking, eating your flesh movie is Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. So I think, right, you know, that that's one of the few good things we can credit. You know, America, the home of the zombies. It was really personified there. And then you move into that next movie. You have Alan Ormsby, Bob Clark. Children Bob should, Clark. Yeah, yeah the yeah. glorious Bob Clark. Taken from us way too soon. Bob Clark, fucking um, Black Christmas. A Christmas story. movies as well. 
Jesus Christ. He's the king of slashers, and I, I, I will side with you on that. Uh, uh, some people will, will do the whole argument between him and John Carpenter, and you've got the whole early Giallo thing, but Bob oh, Clark... Dude, like, 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 Black Christmas is the template. That, that's an incredible movie. And not only is he the king of slashers, but he's just the king of Christmas in general because he he wrote and directed A Christmas Story. Like, that's, that's his big stuff, too. Bob yep. Clark is all over the place. Taken from us way too soon, he and his son were killed by a drunk driver in the early oh, 2000s. And it what what really pisses me off about it is the guy got like 6 years. So, <sighs> you know, took took the world of Bob Clark and his son and and just any human life. I'm not just saying Bob Clark's more important than anyone else, but absolutely terrible terrible situation. But one of the very first things Bob Clark did with Alan Armsby was children shouldn't play with dead things. And itself as a double feature, I think, is a great contrast. You got to start with Night of the Living Dead because that movie is seeped in emotion. It's frightening. It's beautiful itself. They shot on the worst fucking possible film they could. They shot at the worst hours they could. They had no professional actors. But the movie itself is still haunting. It, it no matter what, will always be timeless because of its portrayal of life after death. Then Bob Clark and Ormsby did Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, which is a comedic response to that, and it still has the same amount of fear. I think the zombies are just as terrifying, and the idea of comedy in this movie isn't even that funny. You've got this troupe of actors, and led by Alan Ormsby, they dig up a dead body for a ritual to kind of scare the other actors, and it causes a zombie uprising on an island, and fuck, it could be Zombie 5. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that 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 whole movie is that the setup is just them poking the beer, um, the beer being your knowledge of zombie movies that have already taken place. And at that point, really, I mean, you have we have no real introduction. And and one thing I like to, I don't bring it up much, but when you're watching some of these old movies, the hard thing about discussing them and bringing them up is we all have the history. We can talk about all this stuff. But if you can think back and just imagine, if you sit down and watch Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, and in your mind's eye acknowledge, before this, the only real flesh-eating ghoul monsters were Ramiro's Night of the Living Dead, this movie must have fucking been terrifying at the drive-in. I mean, it's just filled with schlock and shock, and there is so much, like, Alan Ormsby's character is a right fucking cunt. He is one of the rudest, mean fucking pricks while also wearing the coolest pants I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. But it's it's a fucking scary movie as well as being goofy, and you can say that for Night of the Living Dead, you could even say that for Dawn of the Dead. I mean, the you've got the comic book blood, the zombies are light blue, everything about the movie itself is kind of light-hearted and goofy until you realize the aspect of they're eating your flesh, they're killing you, and there is no safety. There is, there's nothing safe that you can even have as your home. And that's one thing with, uh, especially Lucio Fulci, I, I learned. I did an episode a long time ago about Fulci for fake. I know you were a, a really into that episode, and that one's a, a really yep. personal piece about... Uh, there's a documentary that, that Severn Films released about Lucio Fulci, and it has both of his daughters on it. But what I wanted to do is kind of capture my emotion for the guy. And he's he's such a strange director to try and talk about because he at some points has style most of the points he was just trying to make a movie to have money but he was a really tortured and and very bizarre guy and we've talked about like ridley scott and oliver stone yep. and all these really big like bomb directors like these guys are yep. are, are mega stars and 
like the equivalent of Elvis. Like Ridley Scott's like an Elvis style director, and Lucio Fulci's this weird kind of like beetle. Like he lives under a rock. He's afraid of sunlight. He 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 was so different than all these guys. It, yeah, I think he's more legit because like I mean he's uh, he's just trying to like make ends meet, but he's got this amazing style while while he does it, and you know. But and he, and he's making what some people would say is schlock, but um, but he's but he's reinventing the schlock while he does it, and uh, I I mean his films are fucking incredible, like you know. I mean, there's always the big argument between him and Argento, and I I feel you look at Argento's '70s films, and and our Lucio Fulci didn't really start hitting peak until the '80s, and you see this movement between the two that it, it's almost like sound waves that Argento goes up and then toward the late 70s he starts going down and just sort of never comes back up and you get this peak between Lucio Fulci and there's this argument between these two of who's better who's the better maestro and I, I think it's to me almost a clear cut it, it's got to be Lucio Fulci that Argento oh, yeah. performed and had some some beautiful work for a very certain period of time, but he he lost that win and to this day has never regained it. He's made great movies, yeah, uh, but they're just not opera. I, I think is his last magnificent like wow, what the fuck this is this is yeah. triumphant, and that's late eighties. But I b- between the Beyond House by the Cemetery. A zombie, New York Ripper, even fucking Manhattan Baby, which is not a good movie. Not really. Not yeah, a great really film. Not. <laughs> I still take it over Argento. Manhattan Baby's a bad one to bring up, though, because that's just... Uh, I do, like, Argento's got like that incredible lighting, um, the incredible camera movements. Goblin. But, and he's got... He's, yeah, most of the time he's got Goblin. But, but Lucio Fulci's got Fritzy. Fritzy is a fucking like god on his own. Um, he's he's got um, is it Savati the uh, cinematographer? Oh, he's got I, I don't know I I always forget the cinematographer's name, but he had Dardano Sacchetti for most of his high like, yeah like yeah yeah. And Savati is the cinematographer. I I get my Sacchettis and my Savatis mixed up. But yeah, like he's a fucking genius as well. Well, like like almost George Romero, he kind of had his family he shot with that he had a very secular unit and group of people that he would run with, yeah. even when they did the Barbarian movie out in Mexico where he got really sick. Yeah, uh, when those guys drop off, then uh, that so does the quality, unfortunately. But uh... yeah, you've got films like Murder Rock that I, I, there's no way I could defend that movie. It's a fucking terrible movie. It's got Goretta Goretta in it. I kind of like it. <laughs> I like it too, but it's one of those things like Bloody Moon that I, I can't argue that this is a fucking good movie, but I like it. I enjoy what I'm talking about. I, I did on a recent episode. I was talking about. Have you ever seen Grandmother's House with Uncle Leo from Seinfeld? Oh, wow, I wish I had. But, oh, yeah, I, did, I talked about that on the last episode, and it was one of those movies. That it, it's like I, I will liken Bloody Moon to it or, or Murder Rock. I don't particularly find it good, but you just see so much shit, and you get assaulted almost with it that it's not a bad movie. It's a two-star movie for me, but I enjoy it like I'm watching a five-star film at the same time. Yeah, just fucking show me something new, you know doesn't have to be good. I mean, that's where you're at now with indie horror, and I know this is an insulting statement and, and not being a friend of indie horror, 
but everything is is exactly the same and after found footage i love found footage admittedly but it's just hours of the same terrible movies with the same blair witch payoff and then you go to modern indie horror you have a, a, a great a gross amount of anthology films that don't particularly go anywhere i i am in a, a indie horror anthology film called dark tales from channel x that one goes places <laughs> though i'll say that one goes places while i'm i'm doing this fucking terrible rain <laughs> um but it, I'm, I'm being honest on the same aspect of it you know, i don't want to lie and 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 just talk out of my ass for entertainment you get kind of beaten down by it you go through consecutively these movies and on one hand you're like well i they took a lot of work doing this you know, they got a crew together, they they tried really hard, but just because you tried really hard, that's like a participation trophy for everything. You still make yeah, a shitty movie. Just because you're Ridley Scott doesn't mean your Alien prequel isn't a bunch of fucking wank. Exactly, it doesn't have to even go down to independent films, and it, it just gets kind of monotonous, just continuously everything looks like the same three or four people, and then you have the audacity of like bloody disgusting or people from Fangoria saying Lucio Fulci doesn't have a style. Blow me. Motherfucker has style for miles. Like, what do you not want? I mean, murder rock isn't that good. What are you judging? Wax mask. Are you calling that a Fulci movie that, okay, that sucks. Yeah. But zombie itself. Oh, it doesn't suck that much. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I enjoy what it is, but I don't want to call it a Fulci movie. Like, that's not a it's Fulci. It's definitely not a Fulci movie, because you know, he was dead, so you know. And uh, what is it? Is it Zombie 3 that is half Fulci and half Bruno Matai? It's not even half Fulci. I think, uh, I have a book downstairs, um, oh, Eaten Alive, uh, a history of Italian zombie and cannibal movies and there are conflicting reports it could be like 70 30 or uh it it's 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 more matai anyway what i honestly think probably happened is lucio and his daughter camilla rewrote the script they rejected the script so he probably went out and wasted all their film on b-roll and just shot forests I, I think I think he was like he was not well at the time and, and, and he got fed up with it being so hot and where they filmed in the Philippines and uh and he was just like fuck this. It's one tragic thing with Lucio Fulci that he, he became ill while working in Mexico and I believe that he got hepatitis through a blood transfusion after a heart attack. And so uh, it doubled like that, yeah. you know, it just it, it really kicked him down. So at the same time, as I was discussing and ranting earlier, you've got George A. Romero, who kind of got boxed into this studio world. But for Lucio Fulci, when he began, his interest was never in the macabre. It was never in, in the morose or horror or anything dark at all. He shot romantic comedies and romance movies, and some of them yep. are pretty good. They're they're really funny. Yep. He did almost Marx Brothers-style, wouldn't quite say slapstick, but but borderline slapstick comedies. And then he did uh, Beatrice Seezy, which was a, an emotional, really thriller. Like it's, it's a very yep. shocking motion picture. And he experienced yeah. some trauma in his life, and through that, kind of downgraded in his career to doing exploitation and horror. But through that downgrade, I think he was able to really personify his emotion, his pain, his suffering, what mm -hmm. he felt, uh, his his dismay to human society. He was not a happy yep. man, and and that worked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did all sorts of movies, um, but uh, but you can you can feel his 
personality through like uh, his westerns and his jelly and uh, especially through the horror movies i really like for the apocalypse yeah it's fantastic it's, it's interesting with him. You don't get this with many of the other you know staples of Italian horror that you can go through the genres. You can go through his career and look at all these different aspects and all these different pieces of art that he was able to make. He made two White Fang movies, and, and the first one is kind of, to me, like the quintessential White Fang movie. I saw it in high school and was so tickled. Like, it's Lucio Fulci. It's the guy that did Zombie. I know who he is. <laughs> Like he he made some some big budget mesmerizing work and it, it to me I think it's so neat with contrast between him and and George Romero that on an independent section Fulci probably wouldn't have been able to get anything done he needed that security he needed the money he needed the crews oh, okay Lucci you got to make this movie and you got six weeks to do it he'd sit down and bang it out you said that to George Romero and he the guy would have a fucking breakdown. There's no way that he could do something in those restraints. You had to let him, you know, kind of flow and and be this overwhelming force of his own. But at the same time, none of his, he never got his potential. Lucio Fulci, I think, had absolute options throughout his career and like the beyond. I think Lucio Fulci, I, I can't question or say what this man's potential was, but I think that was the top of it. I think the beyond is, is decadent and beautiful and it's fucking frightening no matter how many times you see it. Yep. Um, and I think, uh, don't torture a duckling is, uh, one of the best jellos ever made or jelly. Sorry. I would really <laughs> argue over a lot of what Dario Argento made that don't torture a duckling is, is twice right. as frightening and you don't expect what's happening. Duckling takes a different act is it's not about, um, it's not so much of a who done it. It's more of a why done it. Like you know, I mean, it's also a who done it because you don't because you don't know who done it. But it's but, it's, but it keeps changing uh, protagonists, and uh, and it's more more about the whole like society that has led to the person that done it, why they did it. I would say it's an exploitation film over Gialli because it's almost exploiting the whodunit aspect that the movie is an exploitation film exploiting the exploitation of exploiting things because you have to deal <laughs> with and that but that's Fulci everything is is extravagantly layered with mm. itself and and to go back to the beyond because that's just the perfect one that movie is is nuanced and layered out the fucking ass and it continuously as you watch the movie you find more subtle details as to what's happening that this is older than time and Lovecraft is everything horror and all of this. I mean, oh, Stephen yeah. King's entire career, Fulci's career, all of these guys read the greats. And you, I mean, I, I, I really think that the con, like, and they make a great double feature, like watch Dawn of the Dead, then Zombie Behind It. But Lucio Fulci and George Romero, I think, are, are really compatible and comparable people because both of them are miserable through most of their lives. They weren't very happy people. And they put everything they did into work. But I mean, it's truly opposites that. If it wasn't for Fulci's health, he would have been shooting well. I mean, maybe even, I wouldn't say now, but he would have been shooting into the early 2000s. He would have been pushing out, I, I would say, successful work. And it's a shame that we moved into an era where he could have made just grotesque stuff. I mean, the 90s. There, there is so many great examples. You've got Body Melt, that, uh, that Australian film. Absolutely yeah. fucking disgusting. The 90s were a great era for making bodies explode and turn into drizzling nothing melt, which was this Fulci special. 
I, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, it, it's a bummer that uh, the way that Fulci went out, but but he made a lot of films. He made a lot of really good films. I mean, that's uh, that's, that's a lot more films than uh, that than I'm ever gonna make. So like. And you look at a lot of the other horror masters and great too, uh, like like Lucio Fulci. I think outmade a lot of even people like John Carpenter. And you you take Dario Argento, you take John Carpenter, even Ramiro, and you look at the movies that they've done. There's a lot that are amazing. And I'm not gonna shit on everybody here, but just being subjective, Ghost of Mars isn't a good movie. Vampires isn't. That's not comparable to the thing. Well. I think we'd we we'd have to stack them up in a spreadsheet, but I've been inclined to agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I won't I don't want to say more good is is bad with John Carpenter, but for the most part, I, I don't know. I'd say until around 1989, and then you're gonna start really getting some some big misses from him. But Wes Craven is the same way. George Romero is the same way. Oh. You have, I mean, God, Wes Craven for me after. I like Swamp Thing, so I'll include that. But I'd say after The Hills Have Eyes, I'm tuning out. And then you have a great deal of made-for-TV shit he did that I don't... To be, on, to be honest, um, other than Nightmare, I'm not a big Wes Craven mark. And for me, Wes, uh, Nightmare isn't even my big one. I'm Blast House on the left, and Nightmare doesn't... I, I like it. I enjoy what it does, but it wasn't... And I'm weird with all the major slashers, though. I don't have any... Uh, affinity toward Jason. He doesn't do much for me. Freddy doesn't do much. Leatherface is my man. And then after Hellraiser, I'm, I bounce after part three. I fuck any uh, part four oh, actually. Do. Oh, oh dude, lot. like I, I, I bounce after part one. Like I enjoy part two for where it is. Like the rest of them are terrible. I like part three because there's a guy that becomes a Cenobite with a CD in his head, and it just makes me think of like a ministry video. Like that's what part three is. It's a it's a very exasperating ministry video. Part four is one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever seen in my entire life, but I like it. I specifically like it because Adam Scott's in it. Like he, I I love seeing Adam Scott in this like Fauntleroy fucking seventeenth century French outfit. The guy that sings Ice Ice Baby and Step Brothers. He's the villain. He's the bad guy. Terrible fucking movie. And they, I've, I, I don't even. I've remember. seen. I've seen that one once. Um, God, they I, end up I, on a space station and fight I fucking know, pinhead yeah. in space. That's that's an that's an Alan Smithy film, man. Like, yeah, no, no, it. nobody that claimed that. <laughs> I I don't quite remember what the next Hellraiser movie is. Um, I've not seen any of the rest of them. They're, like they get increasingly terrible, as I understand it. I saw the latest one. Um, Oh God! Was that Hellraiser Judgment, which I had heard rumblings that it was a slight return to form, and it's really not. It was fucking dreadful. Yeah, I Alexander Nash was a really big fan of that movie. He told me to watch it, and I got about twenty minutes in. Was like, this guy's just gonna eat paper and throw it up the whole time. What is all right? And I've I've seen it. I'm not gonna subject it just to that, but I did. I I'm with you that it's not original form. It's it's hot topic version of. Clive Barker's work. Uh, I, I'm trying to. I, I have no recollection of what the fucking fifth movie in the series is. I have no idea. I think the sixth one. Inferno, isn't it? It might. Okay, yeah. I know one has. It's either David Borneas or that or Craig Schaefer. Uh, it's the yeah Craig Schaefer it's, from it's, Nightbreed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they look. Exactly, it's the guy. For, it's it's the guy. That looks <laughs> they like do. Craig they got the big forehead. 
<laughs> Craig Schaefer or Craig Schaefer 2. So yeah, Craig Schaefer's in that one. And then the one after it has Dean Winters from Oz or the um the insurance commercials, the Mayhem insurance commercials. And that's where Kirstie at the end of the movie, spoilers, I'll say it beforehand, has tricked her husband into getting the configuration. Uh, I don't know. It, that, it was all right because I like Dean Winters because I have to have an excuse to mention Oz on this program. So he was in that show. It's not a good movie. I don't, uh, the next one might be there's one that they go to Romania that's like a, a reporter who learns about these uh like 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 there's a it's all about raves i believe that there's a rave going on where people are killing themselves and this reporter goes to investigate it that one fucking sucked then there's Isn't one with, there one with uh with uh Lance Henriksen that's the next one i think where he uh, also fuck. is his son i think in this one that there the the Lamont configuration has become an online video game and this guy's son played the game, and, and the Cenobites came, and he died. So he created a nightclub to torture people. So Lance Henriksen's in it for about 8.2 minutes because they could pay his fee. I think there's two after that. There's one where they did, like, the Walmart version, and they did no Doug Bradley. The Two, two of them don't have Doug Bradley, but one of them is a really bad, like, yeah, best like, value. Like, there's, like, a, a chubby pinhead. Like these kids go out to to Mexico to party, and one of them's just a fucking sociopath, and they somehow find the Lamont configuration, and then he kills his whole family. At the same, well, this is maybe the question, even with Star Wars and Alien, how much of these stories have stories to be told? Like Alien itself didn't really have a story to warrant where we're at. Star Wars definitely didn't have the story. Hell, Hellraiser are the same. I mean. Hellraiser overstepped the mark by the third of act, act of the original film, to be honest. Which is really bizarre to me because I I feel the Hellraiser series has the potential. Like the first movie, the the Hellbound Heart, the 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 Clive Barker novella has a great potential to be expanded upon and to do a great deal with. But how the fuck did they never hit that nail? Like no, like like again, I'd rather just like it be the these weird. We don't know what they are. The anonymity, and, uh, and, and then we and then we can think about what they might might be, and then that's scary. Like uh, having like fucking ten films, like you know, with a, a CD headed Cenobite, and like you know, I like Lance Henriksen with his fucking like hell websites or his fucking dance club or whatever it is. Like you know, that's that's not scary. That's fucking that's bollocks. Well, it's something we touched upon earlier, but it's just like Leatherface. It's just like the alien, the anonymity of, of what these characters were. Yes. Like, if you did a second Hellraiser movie that didn't feature Pinhead and it was just a bunch of other demons, maybe there could yeah. have been a success rate. Well, um, their original plan was to to go for Virgilia. Um Pinhead's just a background character. But yeah, and the, and the, the novella, he's not even really, or I don't even think they give a gender to it. I shouldn't be misgendering yep, at all. He's but just lead Cenobite. I think Butterball, the, the big fat fucker. And uh, Clive Barker <laughs> did a book a few years ago, The uh, the Scarlet Gospels. And I, I did read that. I enjoyed it. Oh, and Really? Was it that good? I didn't think it was good, but I enjoyed him. I mean, you have to take into consideration that he's ignoring everything else that happened completely. And I, I, I liked his personification of like this angry prince. I liked the boring, the world is ending thing here. But it goes back to the same problems that we've had with everything. He combined all of his characters. Uh, Harry Diamore, which 
maybe my favorite Clive Barker creature. I I think he's great. I love the, even though his first Scott Bakula. Yeah, that's and it even comes from that more than anything else. You've got the first short story that he appears in, and it's like a few pages of this guy fighting like a demon monster on a staircase, and you 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 get told he's covered in tattoos and that he's a detective. That's it for Harry Diamore. Clive Barker never did anything else until the fucking wonderful movie that stars Scar Bakula, <laughs> and I that really might be my favorite Clive Barker. I, I think Lords of Illusion is fucking terrifying, and it, it really comes down to that, again, unknown personification of evil, that you you don't need a backstory, you don't need to know who they come from, you've just got this average-looking guide, fucking Daniel Von Bargen, is the most evil wizard of all time that can truly change the, the outcome of the world? Hell yeah! Yeah, but... But but he's uh, but but he's he's Kruger from Seinfeld. <laughs> Your background is impressive, George. But uh, how does it apply to what we do here at Kruger Industrial Smoothing? Well, at the Yankees, it was uh, it was all about smoothing things over, you know, chiseling away, grinding down. In fact, we uh, we used to call it the grind. It says here you worked at Play Now for four days. That that should be a fourteen. Let me just. <laughs> Well, George, I'll be honest, I could go either way on you. But what the hell, we need someone, huh? <laughs> you, uh, you won't regret this, sir. I don't care. According to our latest quarterly thing, Kruger Industrial Smoothing is heading into the red. Or the black, or whatever the bad one is. Any thoughts? <clears throat> well, I, um... I know uh, when I'm a little strapped, <laughs> I sometimes drop off my rent check having forgotten to sign it. That <laughs> could buy us some time. Works for me. <laughs> Good thinking, George. Lydia. All right, George, let's go, man. <laughs> or we, uh, we don't even send the check, and then when they call, we pretend we're the cleaning service. <laughs> Hello? I'm sorry. No, here, Kroger. Are you done? <laughs> Silly voices. Come on, people. Let's I, get I think that's what really I love about the movie is that it isn't every guy, though. Like, it looks like George. It is George Costanza's fucking boss, the guy that rode his ass. Yes, that's the guy with the most evil fucking Aleister Crowley power of all time. That's the guy. And, and every. Like, that's to me. I, 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 it's, I can't even think of the guy. Kevin J. O'Connor. Fuck. I always called him uh, like Nick Cave Jr. Like he's a little Nick Cave knockoff, and I would love personally to like a rescore of that film with like a dark kind of um, like red right hand sort of song vibe to it. And I think that's the biggest fault with that movie. It's got a terrible score. It sounds like some really overproduced action movie, and a lot of it is like there's there's a 20 minute sequence where Scott Bakula just hangs out with other magicians. It goes on for a while. <laughs> Yes, it came from 
And now, for an inebriation, dedication, intermission, we proudly present to you the music of THE Linus Fitness Center. Find them and follow them today on Bandcamp, Instagram, and Twitter.
Death, by DVD, will return. In just a moment. So the glory of inebriation dedication over recently seen is recently seen means we have to talk about movies we recently saw. And inebriation dedication, I think we've stuck to, we've had some some current movies we've stuck with. We've had Alien, we've talked about Ridley Scott, we've talked about Oliver Stone, we've uncovered some new ground. I think it's so far been a pretty interesting episode, but we are inebriated and we have to get to a point of closure here, and I, I guess it's now final rants. We have the full episode to look back upon and all of you that have, have partaken this with us. And I, I hate getting sentimental and talking about the history of Death by DVD, because I feel I do that a lot lately, and I keep bringing up that it's, it's an old show, and we've been around. But what you are listening to is the 13th year of Death by DVD. We have been around old enough that you could legally marry us in the state of Alabama. And it's frowned upon in some places, but it's true. Here we are, 13 years. We have somebody brand new that's joining our show to keep, as I would like to say, the integrity of Death by DVD moving forward. The big statement here is we are moving forward. There is going to be a future with Death by DVD. I know it's been shady lately. We've been releasing commercials. There's not been a lot of full episodes, but we're here... No matter what, Death by DVD, I'm going to die one day and there's going to be somebody else fucking doing this show. And that's why we have the Linus Fitness Center, ladies and gentlemen. So, so far, <laughs> I, I hope you've enjoyed it. We're It's a new format. We're working with all sorts of new stuff. You've got the last episode on top of this. We're venturing bravely into a very drunken <clears throat> and happy future. Maybe just for this episode. We've I don't know how many you've had, but I, I think I'm on five. It's been a few. Uh, I think this is my ninth. Oh, wow. Now, well, I feel that.
so the evolution of Death by DVD, I don't think it's complete. I don't know if there'll be a final cycle or if I'll even be there to join the final cycle. But so far, you've gotten an menagerie of, of wild shit. We've talked about Lucio Fulci, Dario Gento, everybody from Italy, well, and Spain. We've had Jess Franco. We've talked about Luigi Cosi. We've... James Cameron, Ridley Scott. I guess that's about it. It seemed a lot bigger in my head before I started this speech. Yeah, I got really fantastical. Like, we've talked about this and that. It's been like six guys. But we've covered some ground. <laughs> we. The point of this show is we're going to get drunk and introduce our new host on Death by DVD. And we did get drunk. Can I, uh, can I close out with the... Uh the film I initially wanted to talk about at the very end of yeah this is that makes the perfect well you said uh inebriation dedication and I can think of uh like the perfect film in this situation was uh I saw Godzilla Final Wars um first of all um as a big Godzilla nerd it was uh the 50th anniversary movie and uh, I downloaded it um, and watched it in some tiny, quick time video with no subtitles. And kind of thought, what the fuck is this, man? You got like uh, you got Don Fry dressed up like Joseph Stalin, and there's a bunch of Matrix bullshit. I don't know, man. Then I got a uh, admittedly bootleg DVD off of eBay had 10 friends come around we all got drunk and they told me it was the best film they'd ever seen i've really got to say from my experience you you told me this story beforehand but i went through everything in about a month so i i every day i'm running through multiple godzilla movies and i finally got to final war and i was expecting from just uh, and maybe this is the pinnacle of this episode as a film fan, as a fan of, of anything, uh, I, I guess I wouldn't say film fan. I don't know what the term is anymore. That you're a fan of something. Um, shit. Fandom. You're a member of the fandom. From Supernatural to Alien to Star Wars to Doctor Who, it doesn't matter. You have these expectations that you build up in your head of this is what things need to be, this is what things need to be. You've heard two alien nerds just kind of go back and forth. And we've had some disagreements. I mean, we've not agreed on a lot of our, our ideas of Alien or, or, or even rewatching the movie repetitively. And these are things that you can and welcomely enjoy in any fandom that you can join in and be a part of. And you explained this to me, and I've I've been building things up, and I had this idea in my head, like, man, Godzilla Final Wars, is this is going to suck. This is going to be stupid. This is, I, I'm not going to have fun unless I'm, like, trashed. Well, I, you know, I watched it the the very first time. I, I, was, I was nervous, and you gave me a pretense, and it made me nervous. Like, well, I don't want to be disappointed with the really big last hurrah, so I'm going to give it some time. So I waited, like, two or three days after finishing the uh, the the 80s to 90s series and paused upon this and and sat down and watched Godzilla Final Wars and uh, to me it was 
I, I it really is. I it, I hate. I don't want to ever fucking say it's the best Godzilla movie, but goddamn, I think the most fun I had was like, oh my god, there's the stupid American Godzilla, and yep. then he's fighting King Caesar, and it's it, just. It's really not. It's 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 a bunch of gearish bullshit, but uh, I mean, and it. I mean, it it is a bunch of gearish bullshit, whether or not like you know, there are a bunch of friends to. Um, to accentuate the experience for you but um when you have like a bunch of friends to accentuate the experience for you and you're all drunk and you watch a bunch of gearish godzilla bullshit it's uh it's a it's a heck of a time for me what really took it over the top i think was the intimidation that you you had laid down a little bit of a level of well you know you've seen all this so now you know what to look for this movie is going to be a little silly and I, I really preempted myself. I figured, you know, I, I, I tried to mature. Like, this isn't going to be so good. I just got to watch it and take it for what it's going to be. And it, it might have been the most fun I had running the whole series. And I'm not saying it's the most fun Godzilla movie of all time. But when you run the fucking, if you take a month and watch every goddamn movie, when you get to the end of it, this is the confetti. This is the fireworks. This really is triumphant. I mean, you've got... The movie begins off with monsters you haven't seen since the early 1960s. You've got that crazy-ass fucking submarine that also can fly at the same time. You're reintroduced to characters. Go Tango. <laughs> You've got so much from Toho history that appears in this movie that it really is the best of everything. And it it complements, I think, the series even better as almost an icing if you've done it my way and you sit down and you watch the original Godzilla movie and then move upward and watch what is in the series. You get to the end of it. What more would you want? You've even got the shitty fucking Godzilla that fights Matthew Broderick in this movie. Everything. It's just, it's the greatest WrestleMania that you never got to see. I really think it's, it's not great, but goddamn, every monster fights. There's some really dated Matrixy bullshit in between, and 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 uh, admittedly, like really well shot a motorcycle fight as well. I th- I think what really set it over the top for me is is this is the end. That from this era onward, there there are other Godzilla films, and um, we've got the the Gamera series. I think extends the 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 millennial the Millennium Gazera series. Ah, God damn it. The millennial, millennial. The, <laughs> I keep fucking it up. The millennium Gazera, Gazera. The millennium Gamera. Gamera. The millennium Gamera series, I believe, extends a little bit longer than this. But then you move into the American Godzilla series, and I'm not against it, but I, I don't care. I'm not really for it. Whatever the next movie is, I don't particularly care. Uh, I didn't. I didn't like Godzilla vs. Kong or Kong vs. Godzilla or whatever they called it this time. I like Godzilla vs. Kong, the like 1963 one. That was cool. The new one just seemed like a bunch of stuff. Uh, and that's... We can just shit on Ridley Scott some more and I'll even bring up uh, Oliver Stone's stuff. It's a bunch yeah. of stuff. And that's fine. I mean, like, I, I really... Ridley Scott's most I, recent film, the, the Last Joust or whatever the fuck that was called, that was fine. <laughs> I I'll, I'll I'll agree. It doesn't have much rewatchability, and it uh, you know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense as a narrative. But uh, you know, as a nerd, I did like seeing Godzilla kick the shit out of Kong. 
I like King of the Monsters. Godzilla vs. Kong just kind of annoyed me because it's pitting these two against each other. Then they... King of the Monsters was decent. It was, uh, it, it, you know, it had a bit of the uh, obligatory Hollywood bibble, but, uh, you know, but it had a lot of Toho, Toho stuff in it, too. I think my big issue with uh, Gorilla vs. Kong, that's uh, how long have I been calling it that? <laughs> Kong, <laughs> Gorilla vs. Kong, that's not even the name of the movie, damn it. Kong vs. Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Kong, Godzilla vs. King Kong. The final Monster vs. movie so far, it, it pitted these two against each other, and it seemed like it was going to be this magnificent battle royale, and then it peels more to this, well, we mentioned in other movies that the Earth is hollow, and there's this whole hollow... And I guess it's not really Godzilla vs. anybody. Kong doesn't fight. I mean, they fight. Yeah, that's neat. And they do the same fight that they did way back in the 1960s. And I, again, I'm a newbie to this series. It just didn't enthrall me. And, and you had brought this up earlier with especially the characters for this. There's there's really no characters. You've got to go back and read the novel series and figure out what's yep. going on. And there's a lot of detail yeah. where it's it's becoming like Star Wars and Star Trek. The thing that really makes Godzilla is it's, for one, Godzilla, and he fucks some stuff up, and at the end of the day, humans come to terms with it. I think a lot of what enthralls yep. me with the series is the fact that it, it's humans having to deal with nature. You can't do shit about it. Half Shoot all these nuclear bombs at Godzilla. What's it going to do? Nothing. He's going to kill you. You have to live with it. That's Godzilla. You you humanize it and you make all these. And I like the backstories. I like the plot. I like a lot of what has been the connective tissue between the three American movies. I like what they're setting up. I think it's a really interesting universe. I just don't care. I'm gonna see them five years after they come out, and it's not. It's not gonna thrill me. Like if Toho put out a new Godzilla, if a fucking Shin Godzilla two came out. God damn, I'd be there in a second. I would do everything possible to see that the first day. Like, I, that Shin Godzilla blew my fucking mind. I thought that movie was one of the coolest things I'd seen in years, yet alone as a kaiju or a tokusatsu movie. That fucking was awesome. That Shin Godzilla is awesome. There's some iffy politics around Shin Godzilla, but still. It is Godzilla in the sense that it's reacting to um, reacting to the times we live in. Um, like Godzilla is supposed to be a metaphor. He's originally a metaphor for nuclear war, and then throughout you know his involvement, he's why well, he, he he's acting against uh, metaphors for. Um, pollution and climate change and then and then he's a force of nature and in Shin Godzilla he's well he's the tsunami and 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 the shit reaction that the Japanese government had to it at the time the bureaucratic nature of Shin Godzilla I think is is one of my favorite things but we do in fact have an episode of death by DVD planned for the politics of Godzilla which is is your creation? That's gonna we we should have done that as your first episode, <laughs> but honestly, I'm not prepared for that. I gotta do, 
I'm too I drunk can, for that right now. Oh, yeah. At this point, we're not doing the politics of Godzilla, and that's a future episode coming out. But I'll be honest with our audience. we, we I can talk the talk when it comes to George Romero movies, but I am not about to step into the world of Japanese politics until we've taken a few weeks to learn more about that. But uh, for this whole episode, what we've we've done here, uh, I guess I have an ending statement that might lag on for a minute, because as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, there are three points to doing this. For one, it's a new segment, new host, and the 13 years of Death by DVD. We'll start with 13 years of Death by DVD. This It's 13 years. It's been a, a long time. We've come to you guys mostly... For, for 10 of those 13 years, every Friday night talking to you about horror movies, I, Alexander Nash, and myself, and we will continue to, maybe not every Friday, maybe sometimes Saturdays, Sundays, Tuesdays, or every other week. Regardless, Death by DVD will prevail, and I'm, I'm very happy after a storied history, and I would only say storied, because we've managed to live 13 years, which is longer than the expectancy of any child in an American public school system. <laughs> we now have the Linus Fitness Center. We have somebody else that you can listen to. We have new opinions. We have new perspectives. And I'm, I'm, I'm for one, I'm thank you for doing this with me. I really thank you for being a part of this and joining the Death by DVD crew. But I look forward to more of this and... This is a very open, uh, for one, long episode. It's a special, though. It's our birthday special, so you get something different. You get something long. But we attain to go back to you know regular Death by DVD or whatever the fuck that is. Talking about movies, we'll have, as we just mentioned, a Politics of Godzilla episode. The Video Nasties, A through Z, everything is coming back. The Westerns episode... Linus Fitness Center is is definitely going to be joining me on some Western episodes. We're going to have a, a whole new world and 13 years. You're listening to this. You're hearing this part of the show. You doesn't matter if you weren't here at the beginning. You're here. I don't want to say the end, but the end of whatever era we were at. We're moving into a new one. This has been the inebriation dedication and the the point of the show clearly was was bringing the Linus Fitness Center on letting you guys get used to us but man we got smashed uh pretty good i mean Larry sorry David. i said you know a lot you know if you want to do a drinking game where you drink take a drink every time i say you know then uh, i'm sorry you died yeah, but it's different because it's, you know, in Welsh, so it's not the same. Like, they, they get tired of me and Nash saying it, but when you say it, there's an accent. <laughs> but um, it, it's our mysterious, I've said for years, we're going to have a foreign correspondent on this show, and God damn it, here it is! Mysterious yeah. foreign correspondent, English, Welsh, Scottish, definitely not American. We'll say that much. Yeah, I think we've covered a, a pretty wide spectrum of things, but at the same time, it comes down to, I think, one linear point with this episode is you can either write too much or not write enough, but no matter what, people are going to bitch about it. <laughs> in a good or bad way, I mean, you could create probably the most perfect alien movie in the world, and I'll bitch about it. It doesn't matter.
So inebriation dedication, I feel, has been an overall success. We've introduced our new host, Linus Fitness Center. And you've heard the name Linus Fitness Center many times on the ends of episodes of Death by DVD. This is the person that is responsible for our remix of the Death by DVD original theme. I wish I could give you the credit or the name of the guy that did the original theme, even in Alexander Nash's words. It was some dude I know, and he did it, and... I don't know, he disappeared. We we have that original theme Linus Fitness Center has made, what I like to call the Sentinel remix version of it. You're a member of the Death by DVD family. I'm sorry. I apologize at, at this rate already. But welcome to it. I think the best way to bring cheers. you into the family. Oh, absolutely, cheers. I, I We've been friends for a while, but I'm really happy that you've, you've come onto the show. I think we're going to have some fun here. Hell yeah. But to really add some inebriation dedication, let's let's really cement this. I saw a movie. I talked about it. I saw it in theater. I think you did too. I talked about it on the last episode of Death by DVD. It's by somebody I think you're a big fan of. I really, really like the guy. Alexander Garland's Men. That was great, wasn't it? Uh, that was good. No. You didn't like it? <laughs> Yeah, I it, well, it, it's one of those weird. I, I think I mentioned this earlier in the last three hours of this episode. There's sometimes movies that you don't really so much like, but you don't dislike, and I I can't even give uh, this a two star. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, like I I wouldn't even go that far. Like, um, I I I did I didn't dislike it. Um, like I went to see it on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, me and my girlfriend were like. Uh, yeah, it was, it was alright, but like, what the fuck was it about? And uh, but, but it was like, it, uh, it, it was like a twenty-four by numbers. It was, you know, I, 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 if he was making a point, I couldn't fathom it other than what you said—that all men are bad. But apart from him, because he knows that they're all men are bad. But, but, but. There were no characters. There was nothing happening. It was just some atmosphere. And people call it a fucking folk horror. Like fuck off. There's like it, it. Like it. It took some. It took. It, some of it took place in some woods. That doesn't make it a folk horror. Well, they're calling it folk horror because there's this one sequence where there's a repetitive shot, and I'm gonna exaggerate, but maybe it's about <sighs> nine to ten minutes of the Green Man. That's folk horror because there's a pig. Well, yeah, yeah. It, there's some sh- there's some shots of the carving of the Green Man, and Rory Kinnear, one of the Rory Kinnears, sticks some leaves in his face and looks a bit like a Green Man. I, I ha- I'll give some pertinence to this though. I I I was thinking about it. I was thinking about the end of the movie. So, let's, I mean, we're watching a movie here. This is a movie show, so let's take into consideration we're talking about the fictional fucking universe of the movie. So when things happen inside the four walls of the movie, what we're shown on screen is supposed to be a representation of what's happening. The thing that really makes me find, I'll give credence to this movie, and I think there may be more to it, and I don't think it's on screen. I'm not I'm not saying it's like we're not looking hard enough. I think there might be something more to what Garland's idea of or what the fucking purpose of this movie is at the end of the film. Spoilers. Heavy, heavy spoilers. If you've not seen Men 2022, sh- go away. Stop fucking listening to this show. I'm going to talk about the end of the goddamn movie in 5, 4, 3, 2. Here we go. 
So at the end of the movie, all this crazy fucking shit happens, and we're introduced to our lead character that we've been following and a personification of her husband that is crawling inside of the house. And this version of the husband is being birthed from other versions of itself until eventually it's like a giant cock is, is giving birth to this baby. At the very, very end of the film, I'm not sure if it's her sister, but another character that the lead character has been speaking to via text the entire movie, I'm, I'm not sure if it's their sister or not. It's somebody that's very close to them. They show up. I think is a friend. A friend, somebody, but the whole front of the house and going into the house is covered in blood. So it wasn't a fantasy. It wasn't a delusion. It wasn't some sort of psychotic breakdown because this character has shown up and what we are being shown as the audience is this character showing up. So we're seeing it through somebody else's perspective and we see all this blood. I don't really know what to make of that. And I'm I'm talking about this like I'm about to go somewhere, right? Like, I think this is going to be part of this part of the lecture. No, I don't know what it fucking means. It So everything we saw happen, and this guy gave a bunch of births to himself through his own dick until he re-evolved into an asshole to make this woman face her most traumatic part of her life. It just seems like a really, like... Wait. It seems like a guy can't handle a breakup. Is Alexander Garland... Do you need therapy? <laughs> I mean, uh, fuck. I mean, yeah. Um, it, it seems like it almost worked it, it, it a little bit better if um, if her husband was breaking air as well. I mean, but that's, yeah, he, he's birthed into the husband at the end, so you're trying to say all traumatic experiences of women are coming down to their fathers, or is it some, I mean, that's like a very Freudian thing. Like, is it coming back to one man and that all trauma comes to one thing? Is this like, because yeah. at that interpretation, you could almost say it's almost, it's like it's a misogynist sort of thing of like women can't yeah. get over trauma. But if you look at yeah. it from the other perspective, it's almost like, all men are bad. Men are really bad. But I'm not a bad guy because I wrote a story about men being like, I don't know what way to. Yeah. Do yeah. That. Well, you could view it that way. Or like you say, you could view it that um, like, like. Well, yeah. Alexander Garland but, hates women. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, or, or this <laughs> this character uh, is so traumatized that she views every man as the same man and uh, has this experience. But. Every man somehow looks like Roy Kinnear. Rory, is it Roy or Rory? <laughs> I think it's. I, well, that's the that's the funny thing because I didn't know it, the British. I didn't know if it was Rory or Rory, so I was like, I don't. It's know probably how you... Rory. Sorry, I'm just a bit pissed. But anyway, yeah. So every, every everyone looks like Rory Kinnear, but who looks like as far away from her husband as could possibly be, you know. So. And and at that, I started thinking throughout the movie, like, so is it one of those, like, white knight good guy statements to where, like, let's just use social media, for example. Let's say a person posts on social media, I am breaking up with my significant other. And then another person comes in and is like, oh, my God, well, you know what? I knew that person was never good the whole time. I, I thought they were nasty and other people are nasty, but I'm not that way. And it just... As a juxtaposition, I thought, okay, well, maybe that's what the character is standing for, that she's had a bad experience with men, but she's meeting this person, and every face is the same cat because she's experiencing the same... 
but, but none of that's on screen. So you can hypothesize, yep. and it's like, and that's what Garland keeps saying in interviews and reviews about the movie of, well, I wanted to leave it open for you to explain. That's fucking fine if you were making, like, a Stanley, like, if you were Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Like, like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, what is the Star Child? That's a triumphant ending for leaving you to think about what happened. When you do... Yep. Two hours of some weird shit happening in fucking Suffolk. Nobody, I don't know what. It's just people yeah, in the woods. Aurora Kinnear, Aurora Kinnear, dick monster is no star child. It's just a bunch of fucking people roaming around in the woods muttering. And what baffles me is you keep reading these reviews of like, well, the performances were so strong. Nobody did shit. It was a bunch of people confused yep. in the woods, and to me, it just seemed like I don't know. Everyone left a fucking EDM yeah, festival. Yeah, no. Like <laughs> they're all high on mushrooms. And uh, the central performance was just boiled down to um, someone who's been through some trauma that we don't quite understand. Um, and then they go through an experience which may reflect that trauma, which we still don't understand. I, and to me, what I don't understand is I, I think the emphasis, especially with us too, is it's, it's, a, it's a white guy, a white man, Mm-hmm. expressing a woman's perspective and I don't think he quite got it and but I, I can't say that mm. because I've seen a lot of people emote and react to the movie so my my thought of it or whatever covers my ass so I don't sound like I'm sexist or offend people because I don't I, I don't mean to in the goddamn least bit but what I really feel about the movie is it's a white guy saying I understand women I understand yeah. what women feel like and I, I don't know I don't think he did and I, I don't fucking claim to either i'm no infinite gesture on this cause but i i, I just, don't even understand myself yeah, <laughs> in the right. least I bit i can't claim to understand anyone else <laughs> at all and I, I just feel that like that's really what men is it's like a personification of well this is what men are and men are predatory this is what happens where when you're a woman in this world but it's a guy saying it and the movie to me comes off more predatory than anything else like you sound like the guy that's going to ask a girl to come over because she drank too much and she can crash on your couch and then rape her like <laughs> that's the vibes men gave off to me like it, it, it and I'm not saying fucking Alexander Garland is that guy because I've, I've talked about him on previous episodes The Beach really may be my favorite book I, I, I the movie's fucking great too I really like Garland um I think Dread's maybe his best movie, though. Yeah, Brett, Dread is his best movie by a mile because it's not about uh, a female protagonist that are boiled down to um, just <laughs> a single characteristic of uh, dealing with trauma. Yeah, God, now that you, you say it, the robot movie, I've not, I've not seen one of them, but I've seen the robot movie. But, wow, somebody broke up with Alexander Garland and he's not gotten over that at all for a while. <laughs> for a long... <laughs> I don't know if that's libel. I, I, I try to I walk the line of what I can get sued for, for shit talking or not, but yeah, no, Alexander Garland. He's a, he was a great writer. Let's Hey, there we go. Alexander Garland. He used to be cool. Uh, <laughs> he wrote a good dread movie, man. Like, yeah. I love the beach. I, and, and I think the book is, is, well, it's not, I think the book is drastically fucking different from the movie, but man, Fucking uh, Danny Boyle made a great movie too. I, that might be my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio film, and I don't think he's bad. But uh, Obi Wan Kenobi should have been in that movie. It shouldn't have been DiCaprio. 
Uh, it, uh, putting Leonardo DiCaprio as Richard sucked. Hello it, there. Yeah, it, it needed to be Obi-Wan. I mean, the character is supposed to be uh, British. Richard's British in the first place. And, and and even the movie, it seems like it needs to be an English person. But I don't know. That was my first thought, actually, too, with with men that I walked out of the theater and I was like, well, maybe I'm just not. British and like I don't know like did I miss like was there some English shit no, everyone no, said no, it was a full no, horror no. movie yeah, yeah I mean as as a British person I'm going to see it with a Spanish person our foreign God yeah our foreign correspondent here we go God damn yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we came out of that show and we were like yeah I mean yeah. It was fine. I saw it with my mom, and she was so embarrassed. And I, I don't, I don't want to make her feel bad, but she even she waited for a while, and I, I eventually, I had to compose my thoughts. And like an hour later, I started ranting about it, and she was like, "Oh, I'm so glad because I just thought I was stupid. I just thought I missed something." And I was like, "Nope, there was nothing to miss. This, this whole, the whole movie yep. of men felt like you missed the very beginning first scene, and I, <laughs> I was there early." It's uh, if you want to be uh, generous, it's uh, it's dense. Or if you want to be uh, truthful, it's a bunch of wank. <laughs> I think I said the last time I talked about it that uh, you know if you just put some like Radiohead or, or, or Damon Albright something over the top of it, some shoegaze, maybe it would have been really mesmerizing. And I'm uh, just pissing all over the Suspiria remake, but that's what made it for me. If the Suspiria remake hadn't had the soundtrack that it had, I I would have disregarded that movie and said fuck this. But I and I I, mean... I I I can kind of appreciate where it's coming from to an extent though. I mean, I've been out in the country and like I have encountered several of these uh <laughs> several of these Kinnears. Would you say that it's maybe like kind of 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 more like a deliverance style movie than it is a full core movie? Because I mean, you look at that movie and you like deliverance. You have this personification of Hicks and and American rednecks and yeah, yeah, kind of. What, what I was trying to say was like because I'm too drunk. Sorry, was uh, I mean you know I I'm not getting the same perspective that is offered in the movie because I'm a. Uh, like cis white male but but i mean like the movie's written by a cis white male so i i don't know man and that's <laughs> i i think that kind of goes back to my coverall of of here's the official review of men well i'm a man but men are really bad but not all men are bad because i'm a man and i'm aware that men are bad and i can tell you that men are bad and i wrote a movie about men being bad not only did i write a movie i wrote directed and produced a movie about men being bad and i had the same guy be in the movie the whole time to show you that men are bad but not all men because i'm a man and i'm not bad somebody dumped alex garland and he's fucking not gotten <laughs> over it Get over it, man. Go to therapy, mate. I mean, uh, look, I've I've been talking to an English guy for three hours, and I'm saying, mate, that's the end of this show. I said, mate, now we gotta fucking end it. <laughs> I'm losing my uh, <laughs> cultures changed. Those Kinnears are out there, though. I I, I know what he means. Well, I I, I truly <laughs> get the interpretation. I I understand it, and 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 it's like we're shit talking this movie and pissing all over it. It was shot beautifully. It looks really great. I mean, it's fine. Like, like I said, like you know. 
I went to watch it on a Sunday and 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 we enjoyed it, you know, like. But at the same time, I I I, I doubt there's that much more to it than what's there. I didn't waste fourteen dollars. I, I I probably spent about thirty bucks that night. I know I got candy. I know I got a large Coke. Uh, I enjoyed myself. It was it was a fine night. On the other hand, you want to flip it around. Would you say uh, this is uh, this is, this movie is the opposite of possession? I don't know if it's articulate enough for that. I mean, it has the motives. It has the idea of it, but I don't think we were ever given enough of of the husband character to be a possession. He didn't really much possess her. He wanted to be her possession. You know, he wanted to be her everything, and then he selfishly, yeah. you know, does his act. I. I... I, I guess I, I, I well I, I agree with you totally but um, um, I, I just mean as a film I mean like uh, the opposite spectrum of emotion definitely yeah yeah I, I, possession has a lot of the same elements uh, and a lot of the same mysteries but they're like fleshed out to such a great degree and, and this is just like Oh, here's all the here's all the weirdness and a bit of the atmosphere. Um, oh, nah. I I think a big difference with possession is you you can be either character that you can you can look at. And I, I don't want to gender things, but you can look at Isabella Adjani or you can look at Sam Neill, and and mm. no one's wrong and no one's right. And I, that's a hard thing to say because some of them and are both wrong and they're both right. Exactly. <laughs> and it, but it's the emotional aspect that you, you deal with both of these characters and how you look at this movie, because possession is, is incredibly therapeutic and such a painful uh, yep. film. I feel in my life, I've been through both of the characters and oh, yeah. I, I have come back and, un, and understand it and realized people in my past better because I've become one, one character more than the other. Mm. And of course it's all fictional and, and at the same time, it doesn't matter. I mean, it can be therapeutic and representations of your life. And when you try and flip it on its end, you have these two specific characters with possession. And you're dealing with both spectrums of their emotion. And through that, you're kind of getting both like Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud sh sh shoved in your yeah. face into one thing. When you're looking at men... You've got this this very weak kind of despondent out there yep. like like alone. To me, it it actually really uh, here we go. This kind of yeah. reminds me of the the whole idea of the the fucking Riddler man. I mean, this is kind of uh, men is uh, the movie Men is Paul Dano's <laughs> The Riddler directed. That's what it is. If if the Riddler from Batman made a movie, it would be men. So I think it's very skewed. I don't think you get these two aspects of wrong and right and pain and love I'll and life and back. male. I mean, because you can <laughs> even look at... I have to get back to you. On this yeah, I, I, I fucking <laughs> I went off on this one. Because, I mean, you look at possession and you can, you, you, can, you can encompass everything. You have gender, you have love, you have life, you have the role reversals. Not everything that feels dominant and strong is male. Not everything that's weak and effeminate mm. is female. You go through all yes. of this shit with them. I mean, uh, uh, Possession yep. is an amazing movie, but goddamn, at the yep. same time, Matt Reeves, the Batman, that kind of, uh, fucking the Batman might be a better uh, comparison with, with Possession. <laughs> the goddamn I, Batman. Well, I, 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 I'm looking forward to fighting you on that one. <laughs> this might be a, an episode for the future, but really, that's the best way I can put it. Men is if Paul Dano's Riddler 
directed a movie about relationships. The one thing about inebriation dedication that has to be taken into consideration is we have dedicated ourselves to inebriation. But there was a specific reason this time. We, we had a celebration at hand. This is year 13 of Death by DVD. I'm not kidding you. Look up legislation in Mississippi. You could marry us. It, it's true. It's a sh sad shame. Uh, man... This is not the time to be using S-words. I gotta let you know. We've gone through the bottle. It's empty. It's gone. We've gone through the case. That's gone to inebriation dedication. Year 13 of Death by DVD. I don't know what better way to celebrate a birthday. You gotta get fucked up. And I, we've covered some interesting ground. We've gone all over the place. I, I don't know when Death by DVD became like an anti-Oliver Stone place, but <laughs> I don't know, the last year or so, we there's there's at least an hour of this episode where we shit all over Oliver Stone. But you know what? Fuck you, man. Just uh, uh, fuck Oliver Stone. Just fuck him. And to you out there in Radioland, from our slurs and the bottom of our heart, thank you. Thank you for welcoming. You've got the Linus Fitness Center. You've got the return of Alexander Nash at some point, maybe, one day. I don't know. He'll be back. He's not dead. I mean, I, I think people assume I have him, like, tied up in my basement or something. And I did for a little while. And that ended. It was a dark era. Death by DVD itself. I, I wish it would stop. <laughs> I, I really, I would love it to end at some point in time. But it doesn't. It seems to keep trucking. We have a new host on this program, Linus Fitness Center. You've heard it for weeks, months, years. Find them, follow them, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook. I am Harry Scott Sullivan, your host, and cheers to another 12, 13, 14 more years of death. Linus Fitness Center is here. Are you? Are you here? Yeah, but the, uh, the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. That's it. That's the end. The show is over. Until next time, I am Dirty Harry Sullivan. Thank you for listening to Death by DVD. We will be back. Have no fear. Death is near. Ka-chow. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.
Death by DVD is broadcast from on top of the Blue Crystal Sunshine Mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building. been listening to Death by DVD's lucky 13th birthday, a dedication to inebriation. Thank you for choosing Death by DVD. Buy a fucking t-shirt and have a pleasant tomorrow.